John Aaron and Ned Stark were good men, honorable men, but they disdained the game and those who played. You enjoy the game? I do. Last thing I expected. And you play it well. I'd like to keep playing it. Welcome back to the I'm There podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. And today we are going to be talking about Game of Thrones misplays. I brought this up in a previous podcast episode that I wanted to cover this because I had recently started re-watching Game of Thrones, and I'm only at the end of season two. I actually slowed down so that that way I could do this episode as like a part one of Game of Thrones misplays because there are a ton of them throughout the course of the show. But after watching season one... Not only was I amazed by how good the show is in those earlier seasons, like, God damn it, this show is so outrageously good early on. It is crack. Like, Game of Thrones is so good in the early seasons. Uh, so after season one and seeing all the misplays and stuff, I started to write them down. And I started to think, man, this could be an entire podcast episode because technically this is called Game of Thrones and it really is a game. Like, and they mentioned the game many times throughout the show, which I think is pretty cool. They mentioned it a lot in the earlier part, though. Uh, obviously. If you're looking at this on Patreon, you will see that I have that famous Cersei quote. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. I think that this is probably the biggest misplay in the entire series. Uh, so, Kenny, two yeah. things. One, I mean, obviously, goes without saying, we've said many times that the show is really good and I like it a lot. Um, it's probably the show, not counting shows that are... That not counting shows where you can just throw on any random episode and watch it whenever, like yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not counting like random episode shows, uh, shows where you like are kind of you watch it through. It's definitely, I think, the TV show I've seen the most. Yes, um, yes. Because I, I seen... rewatch it once a year, and I never, I don't do that with any other like TV show. Yeah, especially not in order, right? Like I watch Martin yeah, a yeah. lot. I watch maybe Living Single, the Jamie Foxx show, Bernie Mac show, stuff like that. To go to but sleep. you watch it randomly, it's, like yeah. a random episodes, like not in order. Yeah, because it's an anthology anyway. Like most uh, sitcoms are anthologies, so they're just kind of like one episode can stand alone from every other episode. Sometimes they have an overarching season story, but you know you can just watch a random episode and it'd be whatever. But Game of Thrones, it would be weird to watch season seven, episode three, and then go and watch season one, episode two. Yeah, uh, that would like... just be really strange and jarring. <laughs> like yeah. who's alive right now? <laughs> uh, how old yeah, are they? Are you know. It'd be really weird. Yes. So, on that note, yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Uh, rewatch the eat like, and the early seasons are what makes it so easy to rewatch. Like every year, when a new season would come out, you know, mm-hmm. I rewatch it. I know you did the same thing, exact same thing. And that, that season one, season two, like the reason why that was so easy to do is just how well done those are. The second thing I wanted to say though <laughs> is I'm dying inside looking at this fucking quote. So as Fraser said. He has a picture up of this quote, right? I don't fucking care about the quote anymore. What is www.magicalquote.com? <laughs> this fucking picture is watermarked by magicalquote.com. And this is like, this is like, is this the iFunny of quotes? Like, what I is this? I literally didn't even notice that uh, until you just said it. I, li- I grabbed this. I typed in when you play the Game of Thrones and then Google auto filled the rest of it because it knows this is probably the most famous quote from the show. 
And I just found a random picture of Cersei saying this quote on the side. And yeah, magicalquote.com is is just there. (laughs) If you're seeing us on Patreon, you can actually see what he's talking about. But I don't know what the fuck that rant's about. But uh, yeah, I don't know why you even need magicalquote.com because this is taken from an HBO show. Like it has nothing to do with that website. Like I assume that this is a website where you probably go to get quotes. But like, yeah, I guess it's just a shitty website where they have. It's just like quotes on stuff like on these images. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it just makes these images, and for like any iconic, <laughs> for any iconic quote from any show or movie, and like yeah. you can go to Magical Quote, and they're like, "We already have an image for you, so you can post it on your face." I imagine at that website, probably if I go to like C and I go to Cersei, it'll just have everything she's ever said, like all the you know big things that she's ever said there. That's what yeah. I. That's what I imagine MagicalQuote.com would do. But this is not an ad, by the way. I don't know why we're even doing Anyway, we're, we're past it's this. It's not. In fact, this is... Let me clear something up, I guess. This is the opposite of an ad. I think this is idiotic. I don't know why... I mean, I know why this website exists. But, like, fuck off. And I also hate... Fuck this website. That's all. I guess that's all I gotta say. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm a hate. I'm a hate on it. All right. So... I guess let's just get started with uh, season one. I, and we're going to be jumping all over as far as season one and season two goes. So I condensed this list down. This list is technically only stuff that I noticed in seasons one and two. You guys feel free to, if we miss anything, uh, there's a lot of misplays and there's a lot of subjective ones. There's a lot of ones that you may be, it's kind of a misplay, but at the same time, it's like, how could the person have known it would be this bad? Or how could uh, the person have even realized that this was going, you know, I guess what I said the first time, like how could they even know it was going to end up going so far south? Some of the misplays that people make in the show, um, and some of them aren't really fair, even though they might be a misplay, is like, for example, a lot of people hate on Sansa, me included, because of a lot of things that she's done in season one. Like, for example, uh, when Arya got into that spat with Joffrey and he started swinging his actual sword at the Butcher Boy with an, a wooden stick, and she lied, like Sansa lied, when she said, I didn't see what happened, basically, but she blatantly saw exactly what happened. Like, Joffrey came up being a bully with his fucking actual, probably Valyrian steel sword, uh, yeah. trying to fight the Butcher's Boy who didn't have a real weapon. The Butcher was like, yo, we're playing at swords. Like, we don't have real weapons. He's like, pick up your weapon right now. I'm the king or I'm the prince. So, stuff like that. Like, that's a that's a misplay on Sansa's part, like, not backing her family, but at the same time, she's a child who's being pressured and she's in love with Joffrey. You know, she thinks Joffrey's this great person in the beginning of the show and that soon not gets only, cracked not only that like it is the royal family yes so like you could as much as you know it's like yeah you gotta you gotta stick by your family you also gotta look at it on the other end like wouldn't it also arguably be a misplay for her to speak out against the royal yeah, family go, you know what i mean like yes, it could go, what, either, it way. go either way it's yeah like, and the other, the other thing the other misplay that it, it could be subjective but i also feel like it's kind of unfair to consider it a full-on misplay is Again, they used her to write that letter to Rob Stark, right? When he was in open rebellion against the crown. And yeah. it's her handwriting. We don't see that letter until the end of the show. That letter comes when Arya pulls it on Sansa at the end of the fucking show. Like season seven, I believe it is. Season seven, like ep- one of the last episodes when uh, I think Littlefinger actually gets killed. Arya pulls that letter out and she like reads it to Sansa. And it's like, holy shit, that's from season one. When everybody was standing, it was like Littlefinger, Varys, Cersei, and... Maybe Maester Pycelle were all in a room with her, and they were like, mm. "Little Dove, like you're gonna write to your brother and tell him like to swear fealty to the crown and all this other stuff." And yeah, she obviously did it. It was her handwriting. But I remember when Rob Stark read it, it was like, "This is Sansa's handwriting, but it's the Queen's words." 
Like it, yeah. it is blatantly just, it is literally Cersei speaking, but it is, it is your little sister's handwriting for sure. Uh, so I think, you know, it's a misplay in a sense that like, yes, you're betraying your family, but what the fuck is she supposed to do? She's a little girl. So yeah, what like, is she, yeah. She's a little girl, like in enemy territory. Like there's no one. Like she's yes. just by herself. Like her dad is actually she, imprisoned. I guess she could get herself killed. Yeah. Like, I guess she could say no and just get killed. Yes. So stuff like that, where it's like, yes, it's bad that you did this, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to really hold that against the person too much, but there are certain things that are just so bad and we can just get right to it. So episode one, right? The end of the episode is Jamie and Cersei having sex. They're brother and sister. They're having fucking incestuous sex. And Bran Surprisingly, happens- Fraser's not going to say that's the misplay. No. The- <laughs> like, that itself isn't the misplay. What I have written here in my notes is them being sloppy about it. Like, them, yeah, them yeah. having sex is one thing. Like, okay, that's obviously, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of incest. I don't care for incest, even though that seems to be such a trending... <laughs> a trending type of porn nowadays. You go on Pornhub and pretty much every fucking subtitle it just has something about like, oh, auntie and cousin and brother and sister and stepsister and mom. It's just like su- such weird shit with that. But this Game of Thrones has actual first, bl- like they're twins actually. They're fucking twins. Mm-hmm. And they have sex with each other and they do it all the time. That's actually how the show arguably, started. Arguably though, I never thought about it that way. Them being twins arguably makes it masturbation. Stop. So anyway... The show does start off with them killing the last hand of the king, uh, John Aaron, because he caught, you know, he figured out the truth about the children. He knew that they were sleeping with each other, that Jamie and Cersei were sleeping with each other. So that's like the premise of essentially the entire Game of Thrones storyline to begin with. That's what kind of gets the ball rolling, because there was peace before this. Like before episode one of Game of Thrones, there was like 17 years of peace, I think, something like that, uh, after Robert's Rebellion. So there's a period where... There's just no fighting. Everything is at peace. The world is just fine. It's summertime too. There's no, there's no winter's coming nonsense happening. It's just like everything's great. And then obviously John Aaron discovers, you know, he couldn't help himself. He's snooping around. I guess this is a misplay too. Like he discovered that the kids were all actually Lannister children. They were not Baratheon at all. Uh, and he he confronts Cersei about it, or basically lets her know that he knows, and then she kills him. And they ended up getting caught by Bran in episode one. And it's like, okay, they got caught in a place that they probably didn't imagine they would ever get caught, right? Like, they were in a tower pretty high up, and it looked like the tower, if you looked at the room, it was pretty destroyed. Like, it, it didn't look like it was in use. No one would naturally be looking at them in that area, especially from the window of all places. So it's an unnatural yeah. place to get caught, but my, my thing is that I still consider this to be a misplay because they couldn't hold having incestuous sex for, like, a one week. They were in Winterfell for like a week and they just couldn't help themselves. Like you just, you guys just had the fuck in Winterfell. I guess it's probably the thrill of it for them. But they get you know what I think? I think that, and as far as I know, this is never blatantly said. And I, what I, what I think is Cersei, like, I don't think, I think Jamie could have held out. I think Cersei was like such a bitch and like so in her mood because yeah. obviously she knows her husband doesn't love her and they're back in, they're in the North and he's going down to visit his, you know, the girl that he was he was in love with, and he's yes. like visiting her grave and shit. And so That's Cersei was like, does. Cersei was like, you know what, man, fuck this. Like my husband is cheating on me in quotes, even yeah. though he's not, but like is emotionally or whatever. Yeah, and some people like, consider she's that like, cheating. I'm gonna go get. She's like, I'm gonna go get laid, and that's what she did. Yeah, you know what? And I never thought about it like that. Like her husband, I keep forgetting that Robert Baratheon is even her husband for real because they literally don't like each other. And yeah. there's this one really cool scene 
where they talk to each other in season one. It's one of my favorite scenes, actually. Yeah, they have a heart to heart. It's a really good scene. The one where she's talking about how she used to admire him. Yep. She's, she one. said, I, yeah. I thought that you were the best thing ever. You were beautiful. He was muscular. He was tall, handsome. Like, And then she found the truth out about him. He was a horror, right? And then he also is abusive. He's physically abusive. He punched her at one point during season one. And there was this one comment that they made to each other during that conversation is one like again this is one of the best conversations in game of thrones to me is when she says was there ever a time for us and ever like she means was there ever a time where me and you could have legitimately been in love and this could have just worked out and he looks up at her and it's a long ass pause and he says no and she kind of nods her head like yeah i don't like i agree and it's really you could there's this sadness in both of them because he wanted liana stark and she always just oh she only knew jamie like she that's just who she's always loved yeah as weird as that interesting is is, yeah she only knew jamie but i at least based on the conversation right she tried yes you would think she tried to be like okay like this will work because you know the way she thought about him but you know today yeah and another thing that happened is that uh cersei used to be a fan of rhaegar targaryen she was actually supposed to be married to him this is some stuff before game of thrones so like you'd have to just do your research or read the books about it, but Cersei was supposed to marry Rhaegar Targaryen, um, Daenerys' older brother, who got killed by Robert Baratheon, and that went south, and then, you know, she ends up marrying Robert Baratheon, which is not exactly who she wanted to marry, but it was like, okay, if I have to marry somebody, not only is he the king and I'll be the queen, but he's also, at the time when he won the war, he was in tip-top shape. You imagine, like, he was tall, six-pack, everything. When we see Robert Baratheon in episode one, he's fat. And I think that they actually make a joke about it immediately. They do, they do. Yeah, like, you've gotten fat. And then I think that uh, Ned doesn't say anything back. He kind of looks down at his gut. He looks down at Robert Baratheon's gut after Robert Baratheon calls him fat. Yes. And then, and then <laughs> he kind of, like, looks back up and they start laughing at it. It's, it's great. It's a great... You can tell they're it's, best friends. It's so good. It's really good. But then even, like, a couple episodes later when fucking Rob says, get the armor stretcher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they, like they can't get his old armor to fit he's like well get the armor stretcher yes what the fuck is that okay so next misplay right after that so they pushed a little boy out the window they pushed bran out the window and they you know the, the point was to kill him obviously but he doesn't die and apparently this is honestly if i'm being completely honest i've watched a lot of youtube to understand some of the things in game of thrones that are not so blatantly clear i feel like because the show just can't fit every little detail in. Some of it has to be implied and you just have to pick up on it, no matter how small they hint at it. But a lot of people don't know who actually paid the assassin to have uh, Bran killed after he's in a coma. So the next episode, episode two, somebody comes to murder Bran while he's in a coma. Like mm-hmm. Catelyn Stark. So they start a fire somewhere in Winterfell so that everyone would run to the fire. And then Catelyn Stark decides to not leave the bedside of Bran. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't give a fuck what, like, what's burning down. I'm just, I'm staying by his side the whole night. The, mur- the assassin comes in with this Valyrian steel dagger, a very specific Valyrian steel dagger, a famous dagger at that. And you actually even see that dagger in House of the Dragons trailer. Like that Valyrian steel dagger existed 200 years ago. It's actually kind of cool that that's just the thing. Like you see it in the trailer of House of the Dragons. So that dagger may cause mischief in that show too. But the assassin has a Valyrian steel dagger and the assassin is just like some lowly, you know, like some scum guy. Like he's not some high born assassin. He's just a random guy with a Valyrian. Yeah, so he's not like a legit assassin. He's just like some random guy who can guy. kill a child in his sleep. Cause I mean, it doesn't take much. Right. So Joffrey is apparently the person 
who actually hired the assassin to do this and gave him a Valyrian steel dagger to do it, which is so fucking stupid. Uh, but, it, you know, Joffrey's known to be dumb. Like, Joffrey is riddled with misplays, of course, too. And that, like, that is a huge misplay. But apparently, the reason why Joffrey did it is because one night he overheard Cersei and Robert Baratheon talking about how death would be a better situation for Bran. How death would be uh, a kinder end to him, as opposed to being a cripple or being a yeah. vegetable. So that's, that's literally the reason why Joffrey took it upon himself to hire someone to kill Bran, which is so sadistic and fucked up for a kid. Because remember, Joffrey is technically like a young teenager season one. He's not very old. For him to think like that after hearing a conversation between his mom and dad, or his suspected dad, uh, for him to hear that conversation and say, you know what, I'll do it because their hands are tied. My parents can't kill him, but I'll kill him. is so ridiculous. But yes, Joffrey is the one who did it. And that's a huge misplay because then that causes Catelyn later on to apprehend Tyrion without consulting anyone. She didn't consult her husband, Ned Stark, who's the hand of the king at the time. He's all the way in King's Landing. She just sees him at a tavern one day at an inn, and she apprehends Tyrion. He's a Lannister. He's, he's very highborn. Like He's one of the richest family, at the time, the richest family. And she fucking takes him in, which causes more problems. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yes. So all of this happens from Bran being pushed out the window into Joffrey thinking that it's okay to try to kill Bran because he overheard his parents talking about how death would be a kinder thing for him. Then that goes into Catelyn finding out that the Valyrian steel dagger belonged to Tyrion Lannister from Littlefinger, who Littlefinger's playing his own games, right? So he's doing stuff to sow chaos. What, what is just so, what has always been so funny to me is like, Joffrey, so first of all, obviously he's sick. We know that he's sick from all of the things he's done, right? The fact that he is the one that set up an assassination on this on this boy for pretty, like, silly reasons. Like, yes. it's not, like, for a long time, you're kind of thought to believe that the killing of Bran was, like, a, ch- a chess move. Like, there's yes. a reason why. But, like, it's not really. It's just, yeah. like, Joffrey kind of being an idiot. Yes. But then, like, the most idiotic thing is, or hubris why would he like why like he could have killed him with any knife yes like it could it could have been a steak knife like it didn't need to be that dagger it's crazy because it's a valyrian steel dagger and it's such a specific dagger where Littlefinger lost it against Tyrion lannister and some kind of, yeah at a tourney he lost it against Tyrion betting you know they were betting and he lost it to him um and so Littlefinger puts that little bug in catelyn's ear so the next time she sees Tyrion when he's leaving the wall i think it is uh, she just apprehends him. And it's so annoying to me because Catelyn, had, she does some of the most ridiculous shit. She she honestly is responsible for a lot of the death of her family. If we're being completely honest, I put a lot of it on. I mean, Ned and Catelyn, but Catelyn really fucking blew it for the Starks. Like, not only fucking up with Tyrion, but then I'm just going to jump forward to season two. She lets Jamie go. Yep. Ju- like he's a prisoner of Rob Stark and Rob is in open rebellion against the crown. And yes, uh, Sansa is stuck in King's Landing, right? She wants to see her daughter. She hasn't seen her daughters in probably uh, over a year at this point. I-, I would say at least a year has passed. And Rob is out here. He's won every battle against Tywin. In fact, as I watched it this time, I noticed how annoyed Tywin was every scene that oh. you see him in season two. He pissed. He keeps on mentioning how Rob hasn't lost a battle. They drop that point home, and Arya is there, and she keeps overhearing him say how the young wolf, he's never lost a battle, and he's getting more and more brazen, and you know you can't tell him anything. He'll go for everything. 
Like he he feels like he has nothing to lose because every time he does something daring, he ends up winning with it. And Tywin, who's older and much more seasoned in war, is like, I wouldn't have made that move, but it worked. But that move was probably still a little too out there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You heavy storm one card against a stun deck. And like it got there, like, yes, you end up winning that game, but that could have easily gone wrong if your opponent just after that set four, but he happened to have all monsters. He set one because he had all monsters, not because, you know, he was trying to play around heavy or whatever. So it's just like stuff like that is, is really annoying for Tywin. And uh, it's all called like Helen just causes a lot of it. Um, she lets Jamie go, which has crazy ramifications later on, because without having Jamie now, Tywin is free essentially to do the crazy shit he wants to do. The reason why he was holding back is because they had uh, Jamie Lannister captive. You know what I mean? Like the same way when Tyrion was held captive, he was like, yo, I'm going to start a war about this. He's like, what did I do? Like Jamie, Jamie, when he first sees his, you first see Tywin at the end of season one and he's cutting open a, a lamb or a sheep or something like that. A goat. No, it's a, uh, it's an elk. It's because it's, a, it's, a it's literally symbolism. A stag. Yeah. Yes. Cause it's symbolism with the Baratheon. Yes. Elks. Cause they say that every season Tywin is killing the exact family like sigil right so season one he's killing a stag and then uh season two he's killing another animal and you know it goes on like that um but it's really annoying because as he's skinning this fucking stag he tells jamie we can't let Tyrion be captive because it'll make us look weak as a house yep and Family is all that matters. He's trying to instill these things into him. Like one day I'm going to die. One day you're going to die. Your sister's going to die. All of us are going to die. And what's left is legacy. Like family legacy is all that matters. So he's trying to instill into Jamie how important it is that your family can't look weak. So he starts a fucking war over Tyrion, essentially. Like I'm going to war about this because we can't just have our son, even though he is the, the lowest of us, right? Like they hate Tyrion, yeah. um, but still he's still a Lannister, right? And then, and, and no matter what, Tywin's that's why, that's why that. Tywin's a real one. Tywin's great. Tywin, Tywin is a real one. Tywin has very few misplays, honestly, and his come later, so it'll be probably in part two of this Game of Thrones misplay seat like series. But Tywin's misplays obviously come later on. We'll talk about that. But I, I think he's pretty decent. Seasons one and two, like he ends up winning a war and everything. Like he's great. Like he's phenomenal. He finds a way when there really is no way. Uh, I mean, he he fucking basically bitch smacks he he puts joffrey and cersei in their place because yes. this when you know when, when cersei's talking shit and tywin's just like because once one of the biggest misplays missteps in the series is the killing of ned yes. Ned made his mistakes but the fact that they beheaded ned was a huge like that set so many events into like motion even yeah. though events were in motion that's that's one of those it things that accelerated them and like yes. made them worse and Tywin's like, you know, what the fuck is wrong? Like, control your kid. Like, what the fuck is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, like, like, he's still your child. You can't control him. And then she's like, why don't you try? And he said, that's precisely what I'm going to do. Yeah, and he does. Yes. So like, I love he, that. You know what's interesting, though? You said uh, one of the misplays that they killed Ned. I think about this often, right? It's a hypothetical. But I was thinking that, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I think that Joffrey kind of lucked out. Because I think that if Ned didn't get killed... And they let him actually take the black, right? Because that the the uh, the alternative for yeah. Ned was he was going to give up all his lands and titles, and he was going to take the black, right? That was that was the alternative. It was either death or that. If Ned would have been sent back to the north, I a hundred percent think they would have just went to war with King's Landing. I think that it would have just been Ned going to war 
against the Lannisters. I don't think Matt would have took the black, if I'm being honest. I think that once Matt would have got back to safety, like back to the North, like the North rallies behind the North. You know what I mean? Like they don't, yeah, yeah. They're their own, and they, they kind of drive that point home in Game of Thrones a lot. And obviously, this is what I'm saying is hypothetical because Ned is a very yeah. honorable man, even though I think that under the circumstances of knowing that Joffrey is not the rightful heir to the throne, knowing that Cersei uh, ripped up the king's words and all that stuff, like knowing all the treachery that happened, he got stabbed in the back of his leg while fighting against Jamie. So much, he went through so much. I think that he would have just been fed up. And if they would have gave him the opportunity to go back to the north, I just don't think there's a fucking world where Ned Stark lives the rest of his days taking the black. I just don't see it. I, I 100% think his sons, Rob Stark, Jon Snow, and all of them would have been like, yo, all call your banners. Same thing Rob did. Call all your banners. We're fucking going to war about this. Like, fuck them. I, I do think that's possible and maybe something that would eventually. I think the only thing that, like, one of the things that drives up, obviously there's the thing that Ned has on, or maybe he just wouldn't do that. Yeah. Which I, I think, kind of like you, it's maybe a coin flip whether or not what route he would go in that situation. Like, I, I could see him being like, well, with all these other situations, like, my honor dictates to say, I have to do this war or whatever. Right. But I think the one big um, stone in that in like that plan would be the the Night's Watch themselves. As much as like they're in the north and have like a a respect for the Stark House, I think they they care about their mission so much more. They're like all that shit doesn't matter. Yeah, like, no, the north right. is where the war is. You are a hundred percent right about that. I don't think that he would ever get to Castle Black. That was what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know Castle Black. Winterfell is yeah, on yeah. the way to Castle Black. I'm yeah, yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that if they let, if they actually tried to ship Ned to the north, I don't think Ned would have made it to take the black. Like, I don't <laughs> think he would have. So in season two, one of the first things that Tyrion does as Hand of the King, which is Tyrion plays so uh, fucking amazing in season two. God damn it. He's so good in season two. Uh, Tyr- one of the things that Tyrion does as Hand of the King is Jano Slint, the guy who owns the gold cloaks. He's like the leader of the gold cloaks. Uh, the first thing he does is say, so you stabbed Ned in the back. And he was like, I didn't do any such thing. I did what I, you know, I followed the crown, right? Like, it's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, um, he's like, well, who, who paid you or whatever? And he's like, oh yeah, like Joffrey and them, they paid me. And he was like, oh, poor Ned. He didn't know that you already paid. And he, it was just like this whole thing. And eventually at the end of the conversation, Tyrion has Jano Slint sent to the wall. Like he makes yep. him take the black. And later on, you know, that the guy pees on himself, like in the later season when they're under fire by the wildlings. But Jano Slint is like a piece of trash and he ships him to castle black to take the black i think that that just would not have happened with that i just think that would not have made it the castle black i think 100 percent that man would have got the waterfell and whoever would have been either escorting him or like something would have happened where Ned would have been back in winterfell and all his banners would have came up and it would have been like yo because here's the issue the only issue with my plan obviously is that they they still have sons in aria and yeah. but i think that that's also fire for why he would not just accept living his life in the wall, like on the wall. I think that, you know, them having his two daughters is enough to go to war for. So, yeah, it's definitely tricky. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, I think it would be a really cool thing, though, to see hypotheticals like that play out. Where starting from season one, uh, just having a, a different variation of the storyline where J- Joffrey doesn't kill Ned and he lets him supposedly take the black and then Ned rallies up the banners and everything. That would be just cool. Just anyway. All right. So, Ned has a lot of misplays in season one and, you know, the biggest one is just him finding out about Cersei and Jamie and the children, the three children being actual full Lannister and born of incest. So he finds this out the same way John Aaron did 
by this book that has all of the features of the noble houses. It literally tells you this Baratheon black of hair, this Baratheon black of hair, this Baratheon black of hair. Then it's like Joffrey Baratheon blonde of hair. And then he stops and he looks and we we're supposed to understand. And in a world of Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin's genetics are very simple sometimes. But basically, Baratheons, they just overwrite any other trait. So if somebody breathes with a Baratheon, that trait just overwrites it. And Joffrey technically should have the same exact hair color as Robert Baratheon. So that's how it's supposed to go according to this book. And stuff like the Targaryens are easy to overwrite, which is why they don't like to mix with anything else. Targaryens like to be incestuous. That's their custom. Uh, but when they do mix, typically they lose the blot, like the silver, the crazy silver hair that they have. That goes away when they mix with any other um, person. So any other type of person. For example, Jon Snow is actually half Targaryen. Rhaegar Targaryen is Jon Snow's father, but Lyanna Stark is his mother. Lyanna Stark, Starks have black hair, typically, and that's the kind of hair that Jon has jet black hair. Uh, you could not tell he's a Targaryen at all by looking at him, which worked to Ned's benefit about lying about where he came from. So, did the genetics in Game of Thrones work that way? Anyway, Ned finds out, and the first thing he does with this information is crazy. Instead of, like, he sends it, he sends it to Stannis Baratheon, Right, which is I'm glad that he did do that, because uh, that gives Stannis Baratheon like this a real feel like okay, I act the throne really does belong to me, like yeah. you know what I mean, like the throne because if it, if it was uh if the children were actually Robert Baratheons, then like sure Robert dies, Joffrey's the king, that's yep. what, that would just be natural. But the fact that uh, Ned wrote the letter to Stannis and told him, hey, those children aren't actually your brothers, that's huge. That causes the whole war of the five kings. Uh, so this is a huge mystery because he goes into the Godswood area, like where they go to pray and stuff like that. And he has this private conversation with Cersei. And he's like, I don't want the blood to be on my hands. I'm going to tell Robert when he comes back from hunting and I need you to go because he's going to follow you to the ends of the earth. You know, he'll never stop. You're going to live the rest of your days on a run, take your children and as many men as you can muster or whatever, and just go like flee, flee the entire continent, like leave Westeros, go to Essos, basically. Like you have to, you have to do the same thing Daenerys Targaryen is doing. And she gets up and tells him, you know, when you play the Game of Thrones, you even one of your daughters, no middle ground. And uh, yeah, he says, I think Ned even says something about, I won't have, he says, I won't have the blood on, on uh, my hands. But he also says something about Robert's wrath knows no bounds. And she said, what if my wrath, yeah. like, what if my, you know what I mean? Like, what if my, what if my wrath, she says, so she, that to me was a threat. And when she said, like, what of my, I don't know the exact yeah, words, but it was blade. something like that. Yeah. It's a threat though. And it's not like a concealed threat either. It's a very blatant. No, it's threat. a blatant. It's a blatant threat. It's weird. Sometimes you got to think, and it's one of those. It's one of the the best parts of watching a show. Sometimes, if if the show's written well, sometimes it's the worst part of watching a show. But when you're watching something, you're like, "Why the fuck would you do? I would never do that. Yeah. Why would you do that that way? I like." And in the case of Game of Thrones, a lot of times it makes it really great, and it adds to the drama, and it's well written and like you can piece it together but you know in bad shows you're like this is just bad but yeah, anyway so it's like what's cool is that we can explore ned's character a little bit this is exactly who ned is though yeah because ned literally doesn't want to see what he knows robert will do if he found out that those children were all landed. he would kill so to put it bluntly he would kill all three kids kill cersei and jamie and probably just killed the rest of the fucking... Like, if we're being honest, because of the way he treated the Targaryens over Lyanna, who... That whole thing is wild to me because he never even really got to meet and love Lyanna, but he was, like, obsessed with her. That whole thing is yeah. strange to me. 
So what he did over Lyanna Stark is wild. Imagine what he would do if he found out that all of his children, because he would be made a laughing stock of the realm. Like once that yeah. news spread while he was alive, God forbid, Robert Baratheon, the man who was going to kill a child girl because she was a Targaryen and he hated them that much. He wanted to exterminate literally all of them, like all of them, genocide, all Targaryens, including Jon Snow. If he knew that Jon Snow was a Targaryen, he would have killed them, which is why Ned had to lie. So that's how serious it is with Robert's wrath. So I say all that to say, if he would have found out, he would have murdered them and hung their bodies and did some crazy shit that Ned was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not watching that. He would have brought his hammer back out. Yes. And he would have just like pumpkin smashed their fucking heads. Like it would have been real bad. And you know, he would have loved doing it to Cersei. Like he would have probably made her yeah. watch. It would have been awful. It would have been some really fucked up, terrible shit. And Ned thought about it. Like, okay, I know my man. I know my friend. I know what he's capable of. Right. Cause they tried to talk him out of the Targaryen thing. And he literally got angry about it. And he left the council. Like there's yep. scenes in season one, where they're like, she's a fucking girl, like a little girl, like chill out. And he's like, absolutely not. I will hear no more of it. Like, do the he tells Varys like, send send the, send the assassin in. Period. And I and this that's it. Like, I'm not. There's no more hearing my council's advice. I'm done with that. Like, I'm, I want the little girl killed. Uh, so yeah, he's he's wild. But telling telling her that you know about the incest and that you're not gonna have the blood on your hands, and she makes that really to me and like you, even to you, like to everyone, this really blatant threat was such a big misplay but he has an opportunity to, to to correct it even after that so okay she knows that he knows Littlefinger comes to ned and says listen we can take the throne right it, it all comes down to whoever has the gold cloaks at the end of the day whoever has the army wins it doesn't it's not it's not about the king's words it's not about like oh you have this handwritten seal with the king's seal and all that it's all about whoever has the gold cloaks wins period Littlefinger lets him know straight up and ned is all like reluctant to take anything from Littlefinger. he's just like i don't know i guess a little too honorable but Littlefinger comes to him straight up and says yo we can do this and he's like i'm not gonna dishonor he, robert baratheon's last days last hours like that you know what i mean like i'm not gonna do that wrongly dislikes Littlefinger, and yes. like they have history it's one of those other interesting things with game of thrones in that the show starts with all the characters already having so much history mm -hmm. and some of it doesn't get explored till later. And then even some of it, like it doesn't even feel like it's fully explored, but there's enough there for you to like ponder on it. But yes. we know that Littlefinger wanted Cat. Ca uh, Cat. Yes. And that he was in love with her since he was a boy and all this other shit. And like, you know, he couldn't fuck with Ned. And so Ned has a, Ned's known Littlefinger since they were boys yes. or since they were young. And Littlefinger is younger too. Uh, in the show, it's not as obvious because they all look, they aged everybody up for the show. But in the books, Littlefinger is a good bit younger than, than Catelyn and uh, um, Ned. He's just younger than them. Mm -hmm. So it was like a and little so boy with this puppy love kind of situation who was in love with Catelyn. And it's like, yo, I, I get that you have a crush on me, but I don't, like, I'll never see it for you. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, so I was just saying, like, he, in addition to, like, not necessarily agreeing with what Littlefinger does in his way of life and, like, his methods, he also just has history with them, and, like, yeah. they already kind of had have bad blood anyway. They did. I mean, as soon as he got to King's Landing, there was a part where he said, you know, your wife came to visit you, and he takes him to a brothel. Yeah. And Catelyn is actually there, but when he first says it, Ned put, like, he chokes Littlefinger really bad. 
he's like, you're, you, you're full of jokes, uh, little finger. And, you know, it's like, no, she's actually here. And then she peeks her head out the window. She's like, Ned. And she waves. It was the best place for her to hide where no one would expect her to be because it's a fucking whorehouse. And why would a highborn, yeah. you know, why would a highborn queen of the North be there? Uh, so it was perfect to put her there. But Littlefinger knew what he was doing when he said it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he knew exactly. He knew exactly what he, he was he doing. He had like this smirk on his face. And he was like, she's right in here. And it was whores. Like, it, it was, it's so nicely done. Like you said, we're kind of thrown into the middle of a story here. Like when you watch Game of Thrones, we're just thrown in the middle of a story with characters who have all of this history with each other. And it's really unlike anything else. Most mm-hmm. stories, we're just, we're at the beginning of it, right? Like you, you read any story for the most part, and you start off at the beginning of the story where there's not much history to be developed there. But Game of Thrones literally does put you in the middle of something between characters who have a lot of a uh, backstory. And yeah. And so- even if there is history in some of those stories, they do a they will always like kind of make a lot of that history known like as the characters introduced or, yes. you know what I mean like yes it, it's very rare that you just have a lot of character interactions with them treating each other in certain ways before you fully even understand so it and it gets flushed out a later. great example of that is the season four I believe it is where the red viper comes Oberyn uh just to skip ahead a bit and we'll get to this later on too because he has a crazy misplay obviously as well but Oberyn, when he comes, he's naturally talking about how he's here to avenge his sister. Mm-hmm. And so there's history right there. Like, the, the second you're introduced to the character, he's already stabbing Lannister men in the hand and shit like that in the brothel, right? Like, he stabs a guy in the hand and send, sends him away. Um, Tywin comes to visit him, and he's, like, sleeping with a man and a woman. He's wild, yep. but he has, he has already a deep-seated hatred and revenge against the Lannisters because of what happened in Robert's Rebellion, where his sister you know, the mountain like split her in half and killed the children and all that stuff, his nieces and nephews. So he has history in the second he's introduced, you know exactly what the history is. When he meets Tyrion on a road, like Tyrion does the walking party for him and they just walk past him because they don't care for Tyrion. Like he's still considered that imp character, or whatever. But yeah, yep. he, you know exactly what he's on immediately. And that's, that's one of the great things about the show. They, you know, the books take a lot of time to develop the characters because they have that Liberty but the show doesn't. So they do it in every conversation. They give you some of the character and their backstory and stuff like that. So yeah, like you said, Catelyn and Littlefinger have that history and they give that to you piece by piece. They, they piece it to you, but you understand, oh, okay, that was his crush. He failed at getting her and Ned got her. So he naturally doesn't like Ned, like just naturally, right? But he doesn't want to be blatant in his betrayal of Ned in a way that Catelyn would know. So he does it in little sneaky ways. Uh, but yeah, Ned's ultimate misplay after telling Cersei was that he just did not take Littlefinger's off. He's like, I will not spend Robert's last hours, you know, seizing the throne, essentially, is what he's... Yeah. So he rejects... It's like... He, yeah. And then he ends up... He ends up... Uh, so he ends up taking the offer later on, and at that point, Littlefinger had already realized, I, like, I can't deal with this guy, right? So I think Littlefinger, when he first came to, to Ned, he genuinely wanted to do like whatever Ned was down to do, he wanted Ned to take the throne blatantly. I mean, he's, yeah. he says it. He, he blatantly says, you can just have the power. You'll be lower protector of the realm and everything. And uh, Ned is just like, no. And in some twisted way, he was probably doing that to like, yes, make Catelyn happy. Like, yes. if I put Ned on the throne, like they'll move to the south. Catelyn will be here. I'll be near her. Yep. And then like, he definitely was going and- to cause some more issues, but 
once he realized that Ned was just like so fucking hard-headed, and he even says that the Starks are hard of like they're hard-headed. He says it in a way that they say it in Game of Thrones, hard of head, I think, or something like that. But <laughs> he says it in some weird way. Stark, hard of head. Yeah, he does. He says they're quick to anger and hard of head or something like that. Um, but yes, Tarzan. Exactly. So yeah, he's he realizes that Ned is one of those people that you can't. I think ultimately what it is, you know what I really think it is? Ned can't be controlled. Yeah. At the end of, at the end of the day, Ned actually can't be controlled. And that just turns Littlefinger off. Littlefinger actually doesn't like anybody that he can't control. That's just not his cup of tea. He, that's just does that does not work for him. If he can't talk you into some shit or talk a situation, uh, he doesn't like you. And so he realized that and he ends up telling Ned, like, yeah, I got the gold cloaks on your side. But then when you know Ned confronts Cersei and Joffrey on the actual throne with the King Seal letter that Barristan Selmy reads out and then she says, let me see it. And then she rips it up. She says, we have a new king now. Um, and then, you know, Ned's like, okay, well, fuck it. I agree with me and Littlefinger in cahoots now. So he's like, all right, do it. And the gold cloaks all like ready themselves. And then they just start killing Ned's men instead. And it's like this big shock when you're first watching it, it comes out. I mean, it really does come out of nowhere because Peter Baelish comes up behind them and he says, I told you never to trust me and has the knife to yep. his throat. So that, that whole thing, it's really Ned's fault. Like, Ned just caused a lot of problems. Um, and it's such... But it is interesting. Yeah. Like you said, you see his... You see his character in his mistakes. It's yes. not one of those situations where it's like, the writing is so bad, this is stupid, you would never yes. do it this way. Yes. It's a situation where the writing's actually really good, because even though he does things that I would never do, and he does them in a way that I would never do that I think are kind of stupid, the way he does them really gives you insight into, like, this is the kind of person he is. Yes, you could justify and, him, honestly. Yeah. And like, it's you like, could justify it. it. Yeah. I'm not exactly... Yeah, it's one of those things. They're misplays, and they're pretty bad, you know, watching it, right? On the outside looking in, they're pretty bad. Telling Cersei, yeah. not heeding her threat, because it was a threat. I think we both agree now. It is It is blatantly just a threat, what she said. Um, not heeding her threat, not taking her seriously. Uh, rejecting Littlefinger when he first came with the offer to seize the throne. Right. And then later on trying to do it when it's like, now it's, now it's too late, bro. Like I'm, I'm good on this now. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Ned, Ned caused a lot of issues for his family. Catelyn caused a lot of issues because when she captured Tyrion and then essentially took him to her sister in the veil, trying to have him executed. When she did that, that caused issues too, because Ned actually took. So one of the cool things about watching the show again, I noticed that Ned said that she didn't do anything that I didn't tell her to do, but that's a lie. He says that, but that's not actually the truth. He didn't even know that she was going to do some shit like that. Like he had no idea. Yeah. Uh, so when she did it, and they come to Ned, like your your wife, like captured fucking Tyrion Lannister. Like she has to release him. Like she has to release him right now. Ned. Like they. I think Robert talks to him. He's like yo, this can't. Like we can't do this. And he says she didn't do anything that I didn't tell her to do. Mm-hmm. But he's he's saying that so he's that just that. To protect his wife. Yeah, so it doesn't look like he doesn't have control over his family, because that looks bad, right? Like, yeah. if your family's just out here wilding and doing shit, and you're the head of the household, and you're not in control, it's like, well, what the fuck? So he says that, and I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool that he says that, but he didn't know that that even happened. Like, he he heard that news the same time they heard it. Yeah. And he immediately took up for his family. So I thought that was just a really cool thing about him as a character. Uh, okay. So we got a, a lot more to cover here. So I want to get into Rob Stark. So Ned's son, you know, he rallies up the North and they're like, there's no King, like the King of the North. We're no longer under the, the thumb of the seven kingdoms and Joffrey Baratheon. Fuck that shit. We're rallying behind Rob Stark. 
the only king that we know. And they decide to go and open rebellion. This is not something new for the North. They've done this before. That's kind of how uh, the Targaryens line ended. But yeah, so the North rallies up behind Rob. Rob makes a lot of mistakes. So early on, he needs to use this bridge that the Freys have, the twins, like the Twin Towers, and they have this bridge that was needed for him to win a battle against Tywin. It was, it was super imperative that he uses this bridge. Otherwise, to go around it would have taken so long, and then everything would have fell apart with their little trick plan that they did to capture Jamie. Yep. Uh, so he uses this bridge, but in order to use the bridge, there were like a couple criteria, and one of them was that he would marry one of the Frey girls. So he's, he accepts, even though in season one, I like that they do this thing where they show the Frey girls and they're all ugly. Yep. They also show Walder Frey, who's pretty ugly too. They show the, they show the boys. All of, all of the Freys are ugly. They look like mice. Like all of them like kind of, they kind of have a rat thing going. And they actually allude to that later on when Bran is telling the story. I think Asha, somebody's telling a story about the Rat King and how being served the pie and all that stuff and the children. Yeah, yeah, the pie. yeah. So they allude to the phrase looking like rats, and they actually do. Like the actors they cast from them, no offense, but like all offense, they look like fucking Shoot. rats. And anyway, Rob is supposed to marry one of them as as a way to like use this bridge. Even though Walder Frey already swore fealty to Winterfell and to Ned, but he still strong arms Rob, which is so funny. Like he's like, yeah. yo, Catelyn's like, yo, you swore fealty to my my husband like what the fuck like why why do i have to bargain with you for something that should just come naturally he's like i ain't trying to hear that like you starks look down he said you starks look down on me all the time so i want i I mean yeah he like what's interesting is that he in a way it i mean obviously it does come back to bite him right it's a it ends up being a like him turning on how stark and everything he does is bad for him later but in a way like it does show like yeah i swore fealty but like what does it matter like yeah unless you're gonna are you gonna go to war with me right now too yeah yeah, you gotta gotta take my demands yeah and he basically did say something like that uh like they kind of alluded to there was kind of an aggressive comment made about how they could just like storm but like you can't actually take the twins you you just can't like it's not is this not like (laughs) the veil is probably the hardest to impregnate but the twins are also really difficult you you You'd lose a lot of men trying to storm the twins because of the, the way it's set up with the water and like it's yep. a bridge and everything. You would just lose a lot of men. Even if you did take it, it would not be worth it. Uh, so Walder Frey knows that he has the Starks by the balls and he just all he wants really is just to have one of his children get a little closer to the throne. Essentially is what's happening, yeah. right? Like getting getting them to be getting a Frey to marry a Stark. Starks are very close to the throne. Like they, that's a big step up in like yeah. the power politics of the world. Yes, the Baratheons and the Starks are essentially the two big houses in the beginning of the show, right? Like the Baratheons literally are the the king, right? Like the king is a Baratheon, and then the hand of the king is a fucking Stark for most mm-hmm. of season one. So being a Stark is really big, and they're like, "Yo, this is closer to the throne. The closer you get, the more power you have, and all that stuff." So Walder Frey is trying to sow that seed. Anyway, later on. Season two, Rob ends up sleeping with this random nurse that he meets while he's out at war. Just this random fucking nurse. She's hot. Don't get me wrong. Like, she's cool and everything. Uh, in the books, her name is Jane Westerling. And I forget what, they, what her name is in the show, but she, uh, they end up having grief sex. Like, literally, she tells him a story about how her little brother was drowning and she saved his life or somebody saved his life. And that made her want to be a nurse. Essentially is what she said. Like that's long story short. He loves her after 
being around for a while. She's like this super caring person. She also is highborn, but she does things that highborn children would never do. Like she gets down and dirty. She sawed mm-hmm. off somebody's leg because uh, she knows that if the rot, if it you know if it spread, he would die and stuff like that. So she she's willing to do exactly what needs to be done. He admires her, is what I'm getting at. He admires yeah. her, and she's also beautiful. So it's like a double whammy. And she's also foreign. For what it's worth, she's foreign, right? Like she's from Volantis, she says. So she's foreign. Men love foreign chicks for whatever reason. You know, that's the thing. Well, and, you know, you need a little spice. You need a little something different. Yeah, she's, you know, she's a little tan. She got a little tan in her. She got a little melanin. And yeah, so he falls for her. And he literally says, I don't want to marry the Frey girl. They have grief sex. And here's the thing. I don't know if they blatantly say this in the show, but in the books, the reason why he marries her is because he gets her pregnant. And, yeah, yeah. I and, think they do. I don't want to. I don't know if they blatantly say it, but they a million percent at minimum allude to it that it's um it's like an honor thing. The fact that he yes. got her pregnant is why he's marrying her. Yeah, they do so, okay. They do kind of let us allude know. to it at the very least okay. in the show. Yes. So it is a big part of the book and and in the show. And I didn't get there yet. They didn't marry. I'm on season two, episode ten. So I just finished season two. And so where I'm at, they're not actually married yet. Uh they just had sex though. And so now they're in a relationship basically. Right. And, uh, you know, she gets pregnant and he doesn't want to, you know, dishonor her. So he marries her, but that just breaks the vow with Walter Frey. That is actually not the only reason why Walter Frey turns on Rob Stark though. He actually turns on Rob Stark because he realizes that the Starks start losing. So Walter Frey will go wherever the wind is blowing. Mm. And at the time when he first was willing to accept Rob Stark's deal, it was because Rob was winning. Like Rob was doing a good job. And it was like, okay, I'm down for this. Like, you know, this is the winning side. But what ends up happening is Jamie Lannister gets free by fucking Catelyn. Uh, Rickon and Bran are thought to be burned alive. Arya's lost and Sansa's a captive. Ned's beheaded. So, to Walder Frey, if you look at it from his perspective, not only did you break a vow, which gives me like, even if I needed a reason, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, you guys are also losing now. Like, by, by the end of season two, they're fully, the like Starks are fully losing. They, they've been winning the war all of season one, basically, and all of season two up until the very end of season two. At the very end of season two, Tywin gets the, he gets the Tyrell army on his side, which is the only reason why they actually survived Stannis' onslaught. And that kind of, like, that does a lot for the Lannisters. That sets them up with the second richest house. So, if you don't know, the crown is actually in debt. Robert Ratney put their crown in debt by like six million dragons or some shit like that. And the Tyrells have a lot of money. So money was important, but also the Tyrells, as we learned from Rinley Baratheon, who was going to marry Marjorie Tyrell, they have a lot of men, a lot of fighters, even though they're not the best fighters, which we find out like season seven. They're not known for being great fighters, but it doesn't matter. They have a lot of numbers. And Tywin at the time needed the numbers. He actually talks a lot about season two, how they don't have men to spare as the the mountain, I forgot they changed his actor too. In season two, the mountain is some random guy who I don't yeah, even they, recognize. They did change his actor. Yeah, the, the first mountain was awful, by the way. Like, he's just not a good actor. And he's killing people when Tywin arrives at Harrenhal. And he's like, do we really have enough men to spare that we can just start killing them like that? Because he's like, you know, they're captives. But at the end of the day, Tywin was like, yo, put a fucking axe in their hands and armor them up. We need everybody we can get. So that's yeah. kind of like a way that they allude to the fact that the Lannisters don't have enough men to continue this war and everything. Anyway, the Tyrells are a big part of the reason why Tywin ends up winning the war. 
And this is all because of our misplays. So Renly, I have it written down here. Renly Baratheon goes for the Iron Throne, which I think is a huge misplay as well. Because he, he is like so starry-eyed, rosy-eyed. Like he's like, we need good people <laughs> to be on the throne. Yes. It's like, dog, he really goes out there and like yes. I don't know what he was thinking because these good people. They're not like the swashbucklers that are going to win. Like they. Yes. Like he's just not ready for war. He's war. not. The other, the other thing about Renly Baratheon that really sucks is that, okay, so if the children are all illegitimate, then Stannis Baratheon is truly the heir to the throne, period. Yeah. That is just truly how that works. Uh, Robert has no true heirs, like as far as they know. So Robert has no real heir to the throne. As far as anyone knows, no one even knows about Gendry or anything like that, right? And, and, and Joffrey. Killed all the bastard children in season two. There's a whole episode of montage where he just goes in brothels and starts killing all the bastards, and they don't get Gendry because Gendry escapes. But uh, so the point is that Stannis, from Stannis' perspective and from everyone else's perspective, Stannis is the true heir to the Iron Throne. Renly is the younger brother. He's the youngest Baratheon brother, and he just decides on a whim that he just wants to have the fucking Iron Throne because he thinks that Stannis is cold and no one would like him, which is true. But that's just not how that works. Like it's really not. It's just not. And the problem with this is the reason why it's such a huge misplay is because he takes armies that would be sworn to Stannis. He takes those men for his own little cause and he plays at war. He's having twenties and shit. He really is playing at war. And it's frustrating because like in, in this, it's like, why did you ever think you were going to win? Yeah. Like not only are you, you're splitting the, the Baratheon army. Yes. Like you're split, yes, you're splitting the Baratheon army. You guys would be united. You're now splitting this army thinking you're going to be And able to, it would be a curb stomp if they united. Bro, Khaled even said it. She said, if you were my sons, I would bump your two heads together, put you in a room, and make you like realize what's wrong with this. Yeah, like it's it's so foolish. And then on top of that, not only are you splitting the armies, like you aren't, for all of the reasons why you don't think your brother would be a great king for the future... Like, those are all the reasons why you aren't going to win a war. Yeah. Like, you should know that you can't win a war. You don't have what it takes the way Stannis does to do this. Yeah, and and it's really unfortunate because there's... Game of Thrones is so good because of the compounding amount of misplays that there are. They just make the story amazing. So, Renly, not uniting with his brother, if, if at any point Renly was like, you know what, I'm actually going to swear fealty to my brother, you know, he's the rightful heir, all of my troops, I command you to then follow Stannis. We're going to merge. We're going to destroy the Lannisters. It would not even be close. Now, also with the fucking North coming from one side, and then you have from the sea, you have Stannis and the, and the Tyrells and all their other bannermen. If they're coming from the other side, there's no way, right? Like, they, they almost lost to just Stannis. Like, Stannis by yeah. himself almost took King's Landing. He literally was so close to taking King's Landing by himself. So, it's really crazy that because of Renly's hubris, and his random whim to go after the Iron Throne because he thinks that the throne needs a soft person to, to run it. Uh, because of that, and because of he's really stubborn too, he's really hard-headed, which is, which is actually a Baratheon trait. It's one of the traits of the Baratheons too. Like the Starks are hard-headed and so are the Baratheons. Uh, but because of his hard-headedness, you know, he ends up getting killed by Melisandre. She makes the devil baby and it kills him. And then instead of all of the troops that he had on his side running to Stannis, they just go back to where they came from. 
and then yeah. and then Tywin collects the the uh, Tyrells. So it's really that really fucking sucks. You know that it just all went south um, because of Renly plays a big part in it too. Like it's not just him, obviously, but like if Renly just decided to join forces with his brother, they would have ended the Lannisters immediately. It wouldn't have been close. It's it's so when you look back because when you're watching the show the first time, you're just like taking it all in as it happens. When you rewatch it and you look back at the events and how they happen, it's like holy. When you see the amount of times. Things could have went in other directions, and the amount of like branching points that the story yeah. had. One of the cool things is that uh, Rob Stark in season two, he decides that he wants to get for whatever reason, he wants to ally with uh, Pike, right? Theon Greyjoy's family. So he says, "Yo, I'm going to send Theon back home to talk with his dad, so we can get ships and stuff, because that would really help us." And Catelyn says absolutely fucking not i was there when the Greyjoys first did a rebellion and what happened was your your father ned stark and robert baratheon killed the two Greyjoy sons and took the third one theon Greyjoy, as basically a captive like yeah he was a a steward or whatever and a squire but in, in reality it was actually, the, they took him as a hostage so that they would never go, like the, the Greyjoys were never going to rebellion again. I have your only son. I'll leave you with Yara Greyjoy and she's named Asha in the books. And so when Rob says, I'm going to send Theon back because th- this is not as apparent, I feel like it's, the relationship isn't developed that much in the, in the show. I, to, to my, from my perspective, it's not developed that much, but Theon and Rob Stark are best friends. They're actually best friends. Uh, they do blatantly say it once, but I don't, I don't think you feel it as much when you watch it, but they do say it. So when Theon turns on Rob and everything, he says, my best friend, right? Like stab me in the back. And so, so Catelyn is not for it. She said, this is a bad idea. This is a really bad idea. And anyway, he does it anyway, because he's hard headed and Starks are just that way. So he sends Theon back home and Theon obviously is just so easily manipulated by his father. His father just berates him the entire time he gets there. He's like, Oh, they put you in skirts. You know, you're their bitch now. Do you also fetch their chamber pot at night and stuff like that? Like, he just constantly shits on them. And it makes Dion feel bad. He's like, yeah, you can't serve me and you can't serve the Starks at the same time. You have to pick which family is yours. Eventually, Theon says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose my original family, the Greyjoys. And he turns on Rob Stark and the Starks, who've been nothing but good to him. Right? They, yeah, they unlike don't... the Starks, Theon is not hard-headed. And he doesn't... He's he doesn't have like he doesn't have like a stout standing ground. Like he's so easily swayed, manipulated, yes. and he yes, just fucking actually, yes. He just falls in line. Like he's such and he's kind of what's interesting when you think about it, because he was like a steward, a hostage, whatever, but he's more of like a princely like he's more has he has more of a high highborn mindset than the Starks do. He does. Like he acts like he's a highborn and he's like really important and like women are entitled. You know what I mean? Like he yeah, acts he does. He like he's bigger than he is. Snobby. He's very snobby. Yeah, he's very snobby. And like he he has this whole like when he tries to fuck his sister before he realizes it's his sister. But yeah. His whole his whole demeanor is the fact that like this is owed to him in some way. Yes. And then like he's so easily beaten and broken down. And he's just yeah, you're right. He's the exact opposite of a Stark. Starks are impossible to to change their mind whereas Dion, you can change his mind by just attacking him mentally yeah 
And yeah, one and of the misplays he, I have listed here is that he does try to fuck his sister, which is wild. <sighs> I don't care that he didn't know that it wasn't. I don't care that he did not know that it was his sister. The fact that you, okay, one, I don't care how old my sister gets. I don't care if I didn't see my sister since she was five. I would know what my sister looks like. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I would just know what my sister looks like at 28 as opposed to eight. I just, I just don't agree with not knowing what your sister looks like. That's just wild to me. And it just kind of speaks to how much of a whore he is. Cause they show him fucking a lot and like going after prostitutes and stuff like that. We know that he visits whorehouses the same as Tyrion does. He's naturally like a ladies guy. He's a misogynist. Actually. He's more of that. Yeah. Like he's, he's, dis- he's a disgusting pig, that type of guy. He, he's a womanizer. And, uh, he tries to fuck every woman that he runs across really like, uh, like he doesn't Le- Theon doesn't have any picks. He just doesn't nah. including his own sister who he didn't recognize was his sister. So he's feeling her vagina and shit while they're riding horseback to uh, up the pike and, uh, making all these sexual advances towards her, which is so funny when you watch it again, you know, because <laughs> it's just, it's just cringe. It's so fucking cringe. And she lets him do it because she's also a one. She's gay, which you find out way later. If you didn't get it from just, I guess the way she is, but she's, they don't make it apparent until, one of the later seasons when she has like a girlfriend, uh, but she's gay. So she's not attracted to men at all. And when he's literally groping her, she doesn't stop him because she wants to humiliate him, which I think yeah. is a bit, I think that's a bit much personally. Like, you know, it's, it's George R. R. Martin's world. He has a very, as much as I love the guy, he has a very sick mind. Like a lot of this shit is just sick. The incest and then the incest again. Like there's, the there's thing is, though, it makes sense though. Like, cause like, I mean, I guess Yara wouldn't necessarily know this, but it it, it plays into who Theon is for the entirety of the series, and that it does. He is so easy to humiliate. Yes, like, it's he he fucking walks himself into humiliation constantly. It's a theme of his. It's a constant theme of his. So you know, they drive it home that he loves sex, which ends up losing his penis later on and stuff like that in later seasons, but. He makes a lot of misplays too. His first misplay, obviously, turning on the Starks. That was just a huge misplay. The Starks have been nothing but nice to him. And it's funny, when he first comes to Winterfell, he storms inside of Bran's room. Bran is sleeping. Bran wakes up, and he, Bran wakes up like how me and you wake up, where we're literally kind of groggy and like, what? What's going on? Like, can you, mm-hmm. can you turn the light out? Like, what? Like, all right, like, give me a minute. Let me get myself together. Bran wakes up like that, and Theon's like, hey, Winterfell is mine. I stormed the castle with my men, and I took it. The castle was mine. And Bran's like, what? Why'd you take Winterfell? And he's like, did you hear me? Winterfell's mine. You need to get dressed and come downstairs and tell everybody to swear fealty to me now. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, yes, you are. Because I took the castle. And you're going to obey me. Otherwise, I'm going to start killing people. And he's like, Theon, I'm never going to do it. And then Theon says, you want to meet me downstairs or else? And he turns around and walks away. And as he walks away, Bran says to him, did you always hate us? And he doesn't say anything. He walks out. I thought that scene was so good. I actually felt that. Like, I fucking felt that part. When Bran yeah. stopped him as he's walking out, he said, Theon, did you always hate us? And Theon could not give him a straight answer. He couldn't even say it because he actually doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He's just a fucking bitch. He's a puppet and I hate it. Like, Theon is one of the, he's one of the best and worst characters. He's great for the show. It's kind of how I feel about Cersei, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're so good for the show, but I hate Theon as a character. Like I just they help make events happen, right? But they like do. I hate him so much. Cause he's so and that's also why, because I don't think 
I don't think he was redeemed. Just the oh, me too. Jump all the way forward. Me, I'm when you go to season eight, people are like, Theon's redeemed, and like I remember when he dies at the end of Game of Thrones, and people say like how he went out, he's redeemed. No, he's not. Like he's just not. Like he's so he's still fucking corny. Like he's. I'm sorry. I agree with you. I felt the same way. I actually wrote it on Facebook when it happened. I said, "Well, Dion's story arc just ended, and I honestly don't feel shit." I watched Dion die. Yeah, I didn't feel a single thing when the Night King killed him. I also didn't feel anything about his little redemption arc, like trying to help Jon Snow out when he got to uh, Dragonstone, right? And Jon yeah. Snow's like, the only reason I'm not killing you is because of my sister. I don't feel shit for Theon Greyjoy. After he did what he did, because it goes so far. I have a lot of misplays here. So Theon, okay, he takes Winterfell. He takes Winterfell with like 20 men, so he can't actually hold Winterfell because he doesn't have enough men to hold Winterfell. So he's he was sent- only able to take it because, like, they're all outright. Yes. <laughs> Literally, Rob is in open rebellion out on the fucking road really far away. And so this is his only opportunity to do it. So it's a, it's a coward's act because he knows that Bran is the only one there. He's aware. And he also knows that Bran is crippled. Yes. And Yara makes jokes about it, too. She's like, who gave you the bigger fight? The little, the eight-year-old or the, or the cripple? Like she, she blatantly says like it's cause he's like, I took Winterfell, the, the greatest castle in the North. And she's like, yeah, well, who gave you the, the biggest fight? Was the eight year old or was it the cripple? Like, don't act like you did some great thing. Right. Yeah. Like they literally bricked, they drew their opening hands. They fucking bricked and you beat them. And you're like, yeah, I just beat fucking Jeff Jones. Like get the fuck out of here. Like, no, like you still suck. Oh, he's so bad. So yeah, Dion, Dion is, uh, he causes a lot of problems. So when I said earlier that. The reason why the phrase turned on the Starks is also because Theon took Winterfell and he killed, uh, supposedly he killed Bran and Rickon, the only Starks in Winterfell. So at this point, from the perspective of anyone, actually, not even just Walder Frey, but from anyone's perspective, the Starks are in a terrible spot. Their home is taken from them. And no one knows that the Greyjoys only have like 20 men there. Like no one knows that if Rob just just went back north, he would have just retook Winterfell. Yeah, with, like, like, zero fucking effort. Zero effort. He would have just took it. Uh, But, you know, Roose Bolton does all this trickery and has his son. He's like, oh, he tells Rob, like, oh, my son can do it. And that's a a whole thing that we'll talk about later on. But, yeah, so Theon takes Winterfell, and Yara comes to Theon and tells him straight up, okay, it's great that you got the castle, but the dumbest thing you ever did was you killed those boys. Because they're worth more alive than dead. The North will never rally behind a Greyjoy. That's just never going to happen. Also, the Greyjoy's power comes from the sea, and Winterfell is hundreds of miles from the fucking sea. We have no power on land. Our yeah. sigil is a kraken. Like, we're on land. We, we can't... So, so Yara abandons the North, because th- essentially she was sent there too by uh, Balon Greyjoy, the father. She was sent there to kind of raid the North, you know, rape and pillage, steal stuff, and take uh, Torn Castle and stuff like that. And then Theon came up with the great idea, oh, I'll take Winterfell, because he knew that no one was there. So he decided to take Winterfell, but when she gets there, she's like, you can't actually hold this, and you need to come home. He says, it's my prize, I'm not leaving. This is a misplay. And as we know, later on... Gigantic misplay. But yeah. like you said, the, the, the bigger... Maybe not bigger, I guess they're both equally big or whatever, but like... First of all, he didn't kill he did, two Stark. He didn't boys. actually kill them. He but killed two random children. Pretending to kill them, it did put him in a situation where he doesn't have hostages, he doesn't have any bargaining chips. Yep. So now he's just like, he's got nothing to work with. And it goes to show, it's the same sort of mistake that 
say Joffrey made. Yes. Uh, the only difference is that Joffrey has an army behind him. But when Joffrey killed Ned, like Tywin said, like you killed our bargaining chip. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have your brother. Yeah. Like they they have well as he's talking to um you know Tyrion and and Cersei like they have Jaime and yep. you killing Ned is so fucking stupid because they have Jaime. So it it's just it. Theon essentially makes the exact same mistake Joffrey makes, and he pays for it in many of the same ways. Some might argue maybe even worse. Definitely, to me, worse. I'd rather just be beheaded. Uh, I do not want to suffer the consequences of Theon's misplays. Theon's misplays are numerous. So I've already mentioned he tried to sleep with his sister. He turns on the Starks. He actually gets an opportunity to leave Winterfell after making his huge mistake. He could have just left, and he stays which ends up getting him attacked by the Boltons and he can't hold it. So they just, you know, by the time they come there, most of his men are basically about to be mutineers. They're about to turn on him because he's just such a terrible leader. And, uh, he thinks that he gets saved. Like when, you know, when the Boltons come when Ramsey Bolton comes there, he thinks that like, it's a good thing. And it just turns out to be an awful thing, but amazing how dumb he is. Yes. But this is all really part of Rob Stark's, misplay just this all started from him sending theon away theon was at his side during the war the entire time fighting beside him listening to everything he does because like you said theon is very easily swayed so everything that rob stark said theon did like a good boy and the second he sent them away look at what happened all of this happened because of him and like them losing winterfell made them look weak so then their allies started to turn on them literally actually uh, there's also all types of shit that happens with Rob Stark because Catelyn, when she turns Jamie loose, Lord Karstark, who Jamie killed his son, is like, yo, she fucking let my vengeance, like, she stopped me from getting my vengeance on Jamie. And Catelyn says something so unnecessary to say. She's like, well, your boy's already dead, but my girls are still alive. So basically, fuck it's, you. It's insane. It's one of the cool things about this series and that. All the characters have their pros and cons, their their flaws and like their benefits. Catelyn, for example, was very much trying to save Rob for making two of the biggest mistakes he could make. Yep. One, sending Theon back to the Greyjoys, and two, uh, going against his word to Walder Frey, yes. right? Catelyn was there saying, like, this is idiotic, do not do this, and she was, like, very correct. In She's these 100% right. But then, she goes on to like further make her son's army look weak and further damage her son standing in this war when she lets Jamie go. Yes. And it's it, like, what it, the fuck are you doing? It actually causes Rob Stark to lose men. Uh, Lord Carr Stark starts to have problems with him because at this point, so he, and I'm using quotation, like, you know, air quotes here, but he arrests his mother for what she's done. In reality, what she did was treasonous. Lord Carr Stark calls it treason, flat out. It is fucking treason. We had a prisoner. Anybody else would have been murdered. So that's what I'm alluding. I'm getting to yeah, like literally murdered. Yeah, just straight up. Like no trial, no wait. Like they would have just they would have got. They would have been actually fucking killed. And so obviously he's not going to kill his mom. But that's so bad because, and I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a misplay that he didn't kill his mom because that's just wild. Uh, I you could expect. There's no character you could expect to do that except Joffrey. Um, so it's not a misplay that he doesn't kill his mom, but it's a misplay. That his mom would even be allowed to have that kind of power. And then yeah. like her punishment is just she's she's just thrown in a nice ass tent, essentially. 
Uh, it, it's it's all bad. It just it undermines him. It makes him look weak, right? His bannermen, the Car Starks, and everybody else who have a lot of his men, uh, they're angry with him now because they've lost two sons. Like I think Lord Carstark said, I lost two sons now, something like that. And it's basically because one this war, and then Catelyn had the nerve to do that, and then Jamie choked out the fucking one guy. It it's yeah. it's just it's so fucking awful the things that she causes to happen she throws away all the stark's leverage like jamie was such a key piece of why tywin was losing and giving him away it just uh no go ahead i was gonna say you know what's really cool though and this has been talked about before but all of this all of these mistakes misplays these are what make game of thrones so good because they all happen and when you think about them they're all explainable and they're yes. what make the world and the characters and everything feel so much more real. When you were talking earlier about the girl that Rob ends up marrying, yeah. when you described her, she is like such a perfect character. She's this highborn lady that will go out and she like works in the in the dirt. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's this beautiful woman, highborn, has like there's everything given to her. But her. there's nothing wrong with her. She's like a Disney princess almost. She literally, I couldn't describe her better. But in Game of Thrones, a Disney, that gets you killed. Like being a Disney princess gets you killed. Yes, Sansa. You know what I mean? Sansa had a terrible life. She was Disney. Sansa is a literal Disney princess. Like actually. And look at what happens to her. I'm not even going to say it, but bad things happen to Sansa. Ruined. Whereas like in many other series, a character like, I don't remember her name, so I'm sorry, but Rob's wife, um, that character would be a character that lasts for a long time and does a lot of things because she's such a good character. Because what she is is so great and how she's such a great person from Highborn, yeah. but she she doesn't look down on the Lowborns. And exactly. She fought, she's willing and to work with nurse. them. Yeah. And so that's a character that would be celebrated in a lot of series. But in Game of Thrones, that you die. That it gets, gets you sick. killed while you're pregnant. Yeah. Like, seven months pregnant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... It, it does suck. Rob's misplays was sending Theon away, uh, breaking his vow, marrying this this random girl that he met. Uh, then Theon, essentially, it, it, in, a, in a weird way, you can actually say that Theon Greyjoy inadvertently causes the Red Wedding. He definitely contributes to it because he makes the Starks look weak, which then causes, you know, uh, Walder Frey to also turn on Rob. So it's yep. like a, a ton of things that all just accumulate. Uh, another cool thing is that Arya Stark in season two She's a captive at Harrenhal under the mountain and under Tywin Lannister. She ends up being Tywin Lannister's cupbearer. To me personally, this is top five best duos in the entire series. Out of this is these are some of the best fucking scenes in all the Game of Thrones. Yes, because they use Arya to show us what Tywin is having conversations about as far as the war goes. That like Arya basically keeps you updated on how Tywin feels from his side. Yeah, you actually because she's pouring wine and bringing food and stuff while he's having his council meetings. And so she's hearing about the young wolf, her brother and all this stuff. And he even knows that she's not some lowborn girl. He calls her out a couple times. Yeah. He asks what the sigil is of your house. And she's like, anybody would know what the sigil is of their own house. So if you want, if you're going to pretend to be this person, you need to do this. But like he teaches her, actually, which is so cool to me. But those conversations between those two, those interactions that they have. Literally, some of the absolute best interactions of all Game of Thrones, bar none. Like, I love Arya and, and Tywin together. And uh, so, anyway, she, she runs into Jagan Hagar, a boy has no name and all that. 
And he gives her the ability to kill three people. All she has to do is name them, and he will literally kill them. And she tests it, and she kills two people, and they die pretty quickly. One of them dies in front of Ty with a really cool scene, and he literally opens the door to, uh, to Tywin's chamber. And as soon as he opens the door, he falls dead, and Tywin's like, guard! One of my favorite scenes. Um, it's very comic like it's not it doesn't seem realistic at all the way the guy dies and falls dead as soon as the door opens it's very uh tom and jerry-esque but game of thrones has moments like that that i think are really cool and so later on i guess that Arya it just never crosses her mind until it's too late but ty was like i'm going to literally leave harrenhal now and as he's embarking from harrenhal it comes to her like oh shit he's about to go do something to fuck rob over i need to kill this guy because he's literally the leader of the army and so she runs to find Jack and Hagar. She goes to Hot Pie. Hot Pie doesn't know where he's at. And then she eventually finds the guy. And when she finds him, when she finds him, it's too late. When she finds uh, Jack and Hagar, she wants to kill Tywin Lannister, but he's no longer in range. He's gone. And so it's too late. And so then she names Jack and Hagar. And he's, you know, he's all mad about that. Like, oh, you have no honor. And then she's like, let me and my friends be free. He's like, you'll be free by midnight. I'll leave the gates open and all this other stuff. But one of her misplays is uh, not naming Tywin Lannister sooner. If she would have killed Tywin yeah. Lannister sooner, or honestly, she could have been like Tywin, the mountain. Like that would have been crazy. No, she could have. Yeah. Like, I don't hundred, like, I don't know, you know, exactly what his rules are, but like, I don't know if Cersei's off the table, but I would have real quick have just been like Tywin, Cersei, Mountain, or Tywin, yes, Cersei, Joffrey. So, something like just that. Like, yeah. I don't got time to test it. If you can do it, you can do it. I'm yeah. just said. After, so I might have tested You're it. You're giving me three wishes. I'm using all three. I might have <laughs> tested it because that's just how I am. I'm like light with the death note. I might have tested it, but afterwards, uh, when I would realize he's the real deal, oh, Tywin was getting named for sure. Especially when I would have heard that like he is actively the guy in charge of everyone who's against my brother. Like, yeah. it seems so obvious. So and it doesn't come to her until it, like, she's not dumb. It comes to her later on. Like, it does come to her eventually. It's just that it takes her a while to realize, like, holy shit. You know what I think? And it's been a while since I saw the scenes, so I might be off. Yeah. But I how, I remember, how I remember the scenes, I think maybe in a weird way, she just, like, started, like, even though she knew Tywin was at war with her brother, I think in a weird way, she started to like Tywin. Like, she respected him and liked him. And so, like, it didn't immediately come to her head to kill him because she wasn't... Tywin wasn't somebody she hated because... Yeah, he actually treated her good, if you remember. Like, he... Yeah, yeah. He took her out of a... So, when Tywin got her to be his cupbearer, she was covered in shit in a cage that was open at the top, and it was raining, and there was mud and shit everywhere. And, like, people were being chosen every day to die. So, Tywin plucked her from that and was like, this one's not a not a boy, you idiots. This is a girl. And bring her. She's going to be my cupbearer. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw right through her immediately. And he saw through her and everything that she tried to do. Every ploy that Arya tried to do with Tywin, he saw through everything. And there was this one really cool part. I forget how it goes. And I know I'm not going to do it justice. So I'm not going to try to like verbatim say it. But towards the part where he's about to leave Harrenhal finally, she makes a snide remark to him about Rob, like about how he hasn't lost any battles and something along the lines of, are you going to win this war? And he says, careful girl, I like you, but careful. (laughs) And I, I love that. I forget exactly what she says to make him say that, 
But that part right there, I remember he, that. Yeah, because he's drinking his wine, and then she says something, and she, it's something that a kid, you know, how kids try to act like they're smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says something in a way that was like condescending and kind of like, it, you could say it to another kid, like Hot Pie, and he wouldn't understand what you're saying. But Tywin caught it immediately. Like you're trying to be a smartass, and uh, yep. he says, "Careful, girl. I'm fond of you, but careful." Yeah, it's so, it's really good. Yeah, but really all of that that's that's what's cool is that I think that Arya, I think she really to it's in some way liked Tywin or respected him, and she so she didn't have like the immediate hatred for him yeah. in order to because like if the exact same situation was happening, but she was fucking Cersei's cupbearer, like I she would have said Cersei's name <laughs> so fucking fast, like so goddamn Yo, fast. You were wild, you, you know. She would have because she it was Tywin and they immediately. Yeah, because but because of the relationship that they're having with Tywin, and I like you can see, like she can see, because Arya's not dumb. Tywin's not like his children. He's not at all. He's he's so much more of a respectable person, regardless of whether or not you're against him. He's so much more of a respectable person, and like he's he's, he's just smarter than them. He's, he's level like yeah. He so a lot of his children are run by emotions, right? If you think about. So Jamie blatantly says it in all the seasons. I will do whatever it takes. I'll kill every single person in this castle to get yeah. back to Cersei, right? Uh, as we know, Tyrion's all about his family as well. He stops Daenerys from torching King's Landing for the sake of his family all the time. And Cersei, despite everything, also is emotional and all about her family and her children, right? So, like, all of them are super emotion-based. Tywin definitely cares about his children and his family and that and the whole respect thing but he does it in a logical way all the time yeah it's always grounded in logic it's never rash moves so so i agree with you 100 though if Arya was the cupbearer of cersei because of how cersei is as a person right like she's just such an asshole such a i'm just saying she's such a bitch like she's yeah. just she's just god damn it she's a fucking bitch because cersei is is like that she's so unlikable like, the way she treats Sansa, as I'm watching season two, and mind you, Cersei is literally my favorite character in all of Game of Thrones. Like, and it's only because of the totality of Game of Thrones. It's, it's all yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it's, it's because of all of it. I hated her in the first couple seasons. I fucking despised her. But I realized what her character was to the show. And I was like, oh, God. Like, she's actually probably the best character because of just, like, she is the actual... She's the, actually, at the end of the day, the villain from the beginning of the show all the way to the end, even past the Night King. Like she was yeah. the villain. They tried to do this whole thing when they made Dan Daenerys the villain at the end, but that no one bought that. Like no, no, literally no one bought that. And so Cersei's in every episode of Game of Thrones except literally the very last one because she dies in the second to the last episode of the show. Um, but she's the villain. Like Cersei is the villain, and I think that shows are good when they have a good villain. Every anime and every movie and every show that I have in my top five or top ten list or whatever, it's be it's because the villain is amazing, right? Like the reason why I love Death Note. Is because the villain who can be seen as L or can be seen as light or however you want it is because those guys, the protagonist and antagonist, is because of them. Like that yeah. relationship. It's always like One Piece, the same thing. It's always the the antagonist that make it so good to me. And Cersei is one of the most amazing antagonists or villains in all of television. So it's I think that 100 percent yeah, she would have gotten killed. But it's such a, a a weird misplay that Arya didn't name Tywin sooner. She she realizes it as he's leaving. He gets on horseback, and she's literally watching him get on horseback, and he you know he gets away. Um, and it as I was watching it, 
like two days ago, I was thinking to myself, she's never going to see him again. That's yeah. the last, that's the last time. And the director of that episode shot it where you see Arya staring at Tywin, the back of his red, his red cape is flowing as he's on his horse. It's like, he's riding off. And I love that shot. Cause it's like, if you're watching Game of Thrones back in 2012, when season two aired, uh, you don't know where it's going unless you read the books. But Tywin's going to cause a lot of problems. He's going to cause the Red Wedding. He's going to fuck some shit up. That was, her la- that was her opportunity to stop that from happening. Like, killing him would have stopped so much. And watching him get on that horse and walk away, or ride away, knowing that, to me, was like, damn, that's a huge misplay. Like, that's a huge misplay. Yeah. And she could have stopped so much. She could have saved so many of her family. Yeah. That, that, and- it's, but she's a kid, right? It's like, she's a kid. It's it's yeah. so hard. It's one of those. It's so hard, man. It it's more so like, like yeah, she had an opportunity to save her family, but there's some mistakes that her brother and mom did. Oh that my god! Even put they helped. Like she shouldn't have had to. <laughs> yes. Like it shouldn't have all been on her. You know what I mean? It like, shouldn't have been on it Arya have to save her family. That. I agree with you. It should not have been on Arya to have to save House Stark. Yeah. Uh one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite scenes in all of Game of Thrones as well. Is between Cersei and Littlefinger. So this is in season two, episode one. Uh, Littlefinger and Cersei meet each other randomly walking around in King's Landing. And for whatever reason, Littlefinger brings up something about. So I think the first Cersei might throw in the first shot, but it doesn't matter if she threw the first shot. She's the fucking queen and she could do that, right? So Littlefinger gets mad at something that Cersei says. I think she she brings up that he uh, wasn't able to get Catelyn. Something along those lines. She says something to antagonize him. And he says in return, when people hear about brothers and sisters and what they do, that's even more interesting. (laughs) And he says, one of the things I found is that highborn people often forget that knowledge is power. And as he says that, it's kind of like, okay, so you're letting, uh, this is another person who's letting Cersei know that I'm aware of the incest. I'm aware who the children's father really is, right? Doing the same exact misplays that other people have done. And she always kills these people when this happens. He's letting her know he's he's basically high key threatening her. Like in that moment when he says that, he's high key threatening her. And he says, knowledge is power. Now, mind you, she's literally walking with a group of uh not gold cloaks, but like the Lannister army. Like they're her. Yeah, she's got guards. With she's her. got like literally six guards. And so the second he says knowledge is power, and like the highborn people always forget that, she's like, cut his throat. Stop, turn around, take three paces, cover your ears. Power is power. That scene for me, and like my man, when I tell you, he screams. Like when they when she says, seize him, <laughs> cut his throat, stop, I changed my mind, turn around, take three paces, cover your ears. When she does that part, honestly, like you want to talk about the most broken shit. I love the Eisen characters, I love the moderate characters. I love those shit talking overpowered people in all like any, any show. I love them. I love people who shit talk. I love those epic scenes like that. This is one of the most epic scenes to me. And it's a huge misplay on Littlefinger's part because he overplayed his hand. Like, yes, knowledge is power, actually. You are correct. That is not wrong. Knowledge is power if you use it correctly, though. Yeah, knowledge is power. You're not it's like there's uh an old saying, and I'm not gonna say the saying correctly, but it's no one would ever get caught for murder. If they just wouldn't talk, like brag about it or talk mm. about it, yep. there's so many people, right, that like commit a crime. You, they only get caught because like they do something. They go to back feel to the crime scene. They feel 
validated. Yes. You know what I mean? They keep a piece and of the stolen thing. He had that knowledge. His power is correct. And he was right. If he just used his knowledge and like used it to control whatever he wanted to control, right. he could continue to do that. But because he wanted to feel validated, he overplayed his hand and put himself in a position that he didn't need to be. Yes. Yeah, so she says, sees him. And immediately when she says, cut his throat, he starts bitching. Littlefinger starts bitching immediately because literally that could be his life. That's his life. I mean, and it's not like she would suffer any real consequence for doing it. Joffrey would be like, oh, oh, like, why'd you, why'd you kill the master of coin? It's like, oh, because it, she would say whatever she had to say, but nothing would happen to her. Like literally yeah. nothing would happen to Cersei for doing On that. On the flip side, because I think a lot of people talk about how like this is a big misplay for Littlefinger. But something I never really even said to myself. On the flip side, do you think in any way it's a misplay that, like, Cersei... Do you think it's a misplay that Cersei just didn't kill him right there at all? Well, she had uses for him still. Cersei's very smart. This, so I, when I was rewatching it, I noticed that uh, she told him to do a job. Uh, I think that the job was, like, the fawn Arya Stark at the time, because she was missing, and... Yeah, yeah, There was, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. something... There was something else that she wanted him to do, and she... I remember at the end of it when she says power is power now go do she says like go do your job or something like that yeah um she has uses for him and to her i think from her perspective like it could be deemed as a misplay that she doesn't kill him but i think that she also said this guy is so useful to me that even though he knows that's not enough because everyone knows now anyway yeah, yeah. if you remember uh stannis actually sent letters out to everyone so after yep. after stannis finds out he actually sends ravens to literally not even just like highborn people. He sends it to uh, Flea Bottom. Like it's everywhere. Everyone knows that Joffrey is the the child of incest now, and they actually throw a mud pie at him in season two because of it, like because they know, and also the fact that there's a war coming and they're starving. But they also know that he's like an incestuous child who's not actually the real king and stuff like that. Like they're aware of it because of Stannis, and so that secret that and I'm using quotations quotations here. That secret isn't really a secret anymore. So even when he says it, it's like, yeah, but no one has to really believe that for one. And two, the cat's already kind of out of the bag. So it's like, you don't really have it. You don't really have anything on me. It's, it's like when Batman captured the Joker in the Dark Knight. It's like, you have nothing to threaten me with. Like, that's actually how she felt. Like, you don't, that's not a real threat to me. It's, I'm, I'm kind of putting you in your place because I don't like what you just said. I don't like that you think you could talk to me like that. Yep. Like, I don't, I don't like that you think that what you just said to me about how you know about me and my brother and how people will find that very interesting. I don't like how you think that that's okay. So she sees him, but then Joffrey later on, I think in the same episode, it's either episode one or episode two of season two. And I actually forgot that this scene happened. I, I tend to, even though I watch Game of Thrones so often, I tend to forget stuff all the time. There's too much for the human brain to remember. Yeah. You know like, I mean, I, it's you can't hard possibly to keep it. remember it all. I, you can't. And no matter how many times you see something, sometimes you just, you just forget it. It just goes out your memory. So there was a scene where they're in the iron throne room. It's just, uh, Joffrey, Cersei, and then a bunch of people working on her throne room. They're like actually renovating it. And he's saying like, I don't like this flowers and shit like that. This place needs to look better. So Cersei walks up to him. This is the scene where she actually slaps him. But the part about it is he said, I heard some disgusting rumors about you and my uncle. And she says, they'll say anything to discredit your claim to the throne. And he's like, yeah, well, I started to feel like they were true. And I think that something like either she slaps him right there or he says something else. And he sl- and, and she uh, she slaps him, but the fact that Joffrey also knows the whole incestuous thing is like really crazy to me. 
Like yeah. I don't know that, something about that, which is I I just forgot. I guess what I'm saying is I forgot that Joffrey blatantly knew about it as well, and that he said he believed it. It is interesting, right? Because you, you got to think about how would that make you feel as a person? Yes, like, bro. Like if you find out that like, because first of all, it's a secret. It'd be different. I still think this would probably cause like. Tra- like long-term trauma but it'd be different if like you were born and your whole life you knew that your mom and dad were brother and sister yeah but it, like if you grow up in a world where it's a secret and you, you know everybody knows that it's wrong or whatever and then you find out and you know it's a secret that they're trying to keep and all this other stuff, like you got to think like what kind of like what kind of shit does that put in your thoughts when you're alone you know what i mean yeah. like when you're thinking to yourself and he's a terrible terrible kid and it you know, I, I feel like in Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin's genetics, genetics, the way they work, um, the Targaryens, they say you flip a coin and they're mad, just madness. Joffrey is born to incest as well. We know the Targaryens were incestuous. I think they allude to it. That's part of the reason why he's crazy. Actually, yeah, I not, think so. Not even just, uh, it's actually confirmed. Tyrion says, so there's another scene in season two as the city's about to be, uh, be under siege by Stannis Baratheon. Cersei and Tyrion have a heart-to-heart conversation. It's one. It's another one of those seasons who has so many good scenes. They have a heart-to-heart conversation, and this is when you find out that Tyrion actually does know, like he's completely aware of his brother and sister sleeping with each other, and he also knows that his nephews are born of incest. And he says the Targaryens used to do, and she cuts him off, and she's like, "Yeah, but you know, like no one cares about that, right?" Like. The other Targaryen used to do it, but it was a different time. And uh, he walks over to her. He's all set because he's sending Marcella away to protect her. She sees it as you're trying to hurt me. You're just trying to get at me. So you're sending my daughter away. But he's actually like, no, I'm genuinely sending Marcella to Dorne because I'm trying to protect her because Stannis is about to literally destroy the city. And one, we need the Dornish. So I'm going to try to have her be married to the, to the, uh, the Dornish prince. To bring them into the fold, because Doran has always been on the outside. They've always been on the outside. They've always been like and they're a powerful house. They're powerful and they're rebels to the Iron Throne. They've always been. It's, a, it's actually back in the day when Aegon conquered the Seven Kingdoms. He actually didn't conquer Doran. Period. He just did not. He actually just left. And the second time he went to Doran, his sister got killed on her dragon. Like somebody shot her off her fucking dragon, and she her dra- her and her dragon fell on her, and she died. So, so uh, Aegon the Conqueror did not conquer all seven kingdoms. They, they came into the fold, you know, on their own, essentially. But Dorne was never actually conquered by anyone. So, you know, Tyrion's like, yo, I want to bring them into the fold. And I think the best way to do that is do marriage. That's just how that works. Like Tywin says it during season two. Tyrion says it during season two. Marriage is the best way to, uh, you know, guarantee and establish relationships with other houses. Yep. But they have this heart to heart about the whole incest thing. And she openly admits it to uh, Tyrion, which I thought was, cool that they just have this conversation and it's just it's a very honest conversation that she has with him and how she feels about the whole thing and how she's you know she hates that jamie's a captive she hasn't been with him in a, in a very long time it's also this whole plot going on in season two where she's sleeping with lancel uh yeah, their yeah. cousin and like Tyrion is aware of that too and he's threatening lancel every chance he gets that he's gonna tell jamie he's gonna tell tywin about lancel sleeping with cersei and stuff so there's a lot going on with that um, but Tyrion plays season two amazing. I mean, absolutely. it's something that frustrates me a little bit about the relationship in that because I remember that scene and I, you see throughout the series that Tyrion really does care about his family. He does, 
And it, it it always frustrates a little bit that like Cersei just hates him. She does. She but just don't forget, don't forget, his birth killed their mom. I know, I know, but it's like, damn. I know, man, I know, I, I get what you're saying too, because it's wild that she hates him so much. But okay, so it's more apparent in the books. I, I, I say this a lot. They tell you their ages. Tyrion is very, very much younger than Cersei and Jaime. He's way younger than them. He's. It's to the point where you know how you have a little brother who's like ten years old. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not that extreme, but let's say a good fifteen years apart, right? Like something something yeah. like that. Ten or ten or fifteen years enough to where you are fully aware of your mom, who she is. Like you're not. She didn't die when you were a baby. She yeah, died yeah. when you were a fully formed human being who knows their mom, who loves their you're mom. Like 15, 16 years who old. Who clings yeah. to their mom, right? So like, if your mom, who you've had your whole life up until this point got killed and then this little fucking gremlin thing comes out and he's like this not only is he shunned because of what he is but he's also he has these nasty habits of being like he likes whorehouses he likes to frequent whorehouses he brings the lannister name down by doing all these other things so like she hates him and i'm not justifying it i'm just putting yeah, it in perspective yeah. of why she does because i don't want to just say it like you're right she does absolutely hate him no matter what he does it's like no like Tyrion does all these great things like you said he does amazing things for his family, but Cersei hates him yeah. almost a whole show. She does. And it's like the same with, whereas like Tywin, Tywin like hates him, but also loves him. Yes. But it's like, it's the same thing where Tyrion has that awesome scene. I don't remember what season it is, but it's an awesome scene with Tywin where he's like, I'm your best fucking kid. Yeah. He's like, you treat me like shit, but <laughs> I'm your best kid. Like, I don't know if you realize this yet, but I'm the best one. Yes. He does say that. I love that scene as well. Uh, and, you know, it's a thankless job that he does in season two. It's one of the things that I really hate about it. And George R. R. Martin is such a great writer because he knows how people who like Tyrion would feel. He writes Tyrion to be very likable. He slaps. So he slaps Joffrey in season one. He slaps him again during the siege in season two. Like slaps the shit out of him. Yep. And uh, so everyone loves Tyrion. And then at the end of season two, after Tywin wins the war, and it's partially because of Tyrion, actually, in the wildfire trick. Of course. Uh, it's a thankless job. Tyrion gets punished. He gets fully punished for everything he did in season two. Like, he roots out Pycelle. Pycelle's like a fucking little traitorous, nasty little old man. He finds out that Pycelle is basically Cersei's, uh, you know, like, spy. He sends Jano Slant, who betrayed the last Hand of the King. He sends him to the wall because, like, he's like, well, why the fuck would I want you around me if you yeah. literally got the last hand of the king killed? That was his logic. And I said, that's actually amazing. He uh, makes good friends with Varys because he realizes that Varys is useful. He also threatens Varys and lets him know because Varys says, <laughs> he, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when he first gets the king, Tyrion gets the king's landing. He's the hand of the king. Varys is in his room and uh, he's talking to Shay. He makes, it's basically a threat. The fact that Varys is even talking to Shay is a threat. And he closes the door as Varys tries to leave. He says, I am not Ned Stark. Do not threaten me. And he said, Ned Stark was, he says, Ned Stark was an honorable man. And he said, and I am not. I will have you thrown overboard. I fucking love, like, he, he goes in guns blazing because he knows you can't play this game in a soft way. Yeah. Like, you know what's funny is I think other than the other Starks, I think Tyrion talks about Ned the most. Like, Tyrion... He does. Tyrion talks about Ned a lot throughout the series. He does. He brings him up often. He brings <laughs> him up very often. It's great. 
It's actually great because because he's he has the same job. Yeah, it, I have the same job as you, bro. Like I, I have to talk about it because I don't want to have the same pitfalls. So the first thing he does is figure out who's spying for who, right? And then who can I trust? Who can I trust? And he roots out all of these things. He finds out what Cersei's doing. He finds about the wildfire. He does a lot. He sends Marcella to Dorne to establish a relationship there, which actually is really important later on. He just does a whole lot of stuff. And again, like I said, it's a thankless job. It really sucks because he plays the game so well, only to season two, episode 10, to wake up from a coma with a big ass slash on his face and told by uh, Pycelle that, you know, you're no longer handed a king. They take the pen away and that he's he's been thrown to like some offshore little hut that he's supposed to live in. Like he's not even living in the castle anymore. He's like somewhere else. It's really bad. The whole thing is bad, but yeah, a couple more misplays to go through before we get out of here and wrap this one up. Uh, so we have Jon Snow doesn't want to kill the redhead egret in season two. And this causes the half hand who's the best ranger of all time to be killed essentially. Cause he gets captured yeah. going back for Jon Snow. So they, they kill some wildlings. They come across the woman wildling egret. And they're like, John is the one who essentially has the, he has the, the knife up to her neck and he doesn't want to kill her because he's a woman or for whatever reason, he doesn't want to kill her. And so they're like, listen, make sure you get the job done. And when you do catch up to us, we ain't got time for this. If you don't want us to be around when you do it, whatever. And so they leave him, which is kind of a misplaner in itself. They, they, they leave Jon Snow. He ends up not killing her because she's hot and she fucking antagonizes him a lot. She fucking gets him hard. She cuddles with him. She rubs her butt up against him. She does all this stuff, right? She does womanly things. And he's a teenage boy. He's very, very, uh, he's very attracted to her. Clearly he tells her to stop, stop. But she's like, you're, you're saying one thing, but your body is saying another thing. And so he doesn't kill her, which then results in the half hand coming back to look for him, but getting captured by the wildlings. Mind you, the half hand is so great that when, uh, Commander Mormont talks about him. He says that he's been living beyond the wall for like years. He survived beyond the wall in the wildling territory on his own, essentially for fucking years. And someone says, so it's possible to live beyond the wall. And then, and, and Commander Mormont's like, it's possible for the half hand. <laughs> like, I don't want y'all to get this confused that this is easy because they're beyond the wall at the time. And, yep. and they're struggling bad. There are crafters keep at one point. And uh, they go past that point and it's really cold and their horses are, it's just bad. The whole situation is bad and they get some hope by the half hand surviving out here. But then the commander Mormont lets them know, like, it's not really a thing. Like this is, he's different. He's 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 different. So he's the best ranger ever. And he gets killed because of Jon Snow's misplay. So that's a misplay there. Uh, I also have Viserys, Daenerys' brother. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I was, I was going to say, we got to, it's it's almost a shame that we didn't get to this yet, but his the whole Viserys is just terrible. What was he thinking? What was he? Th- he really he's like Theon. He the picture of hubris. Like he yes. really thought he was that guy because like he's not incredible. He's no. he's not strong. He's not a great leader. No. He has to resort. Like he only has an army right now, the Dothraki army. Because of his sister, yeah. you know, being with Cal Drogo. But, like, he himself is nothing special. And the, the amount of times 
Because he, he misplays the same way more than once before he finally gets it, and then, like, he gets it. Yeah, he misplays a lot. He actually strikes Daenerys a couple times, uh, which, you know, got him fucked up the second time he went for it, and somebody put one of those lassos around his neck, and then he had to walk. He tried to get on a horse, and they were like, no, you walk. Yep. And so he he made a lot of misplays, but his ultimate misplay was obviously when uh, he demanded his golden crown, and Kyle Drogo gave it to him. You know, he said something about, I will fucking rip the baby out of her stomach. And he was talking wild about Kyle Drogo's seed in front of Kyle Drogo and saying he was was just like crazy. It was crazy. Honestly, when I watched it. Do you see Kyle Drogo? Like, look at him. Yeah, it was when you're watching it again. And even when you're watching it the first time, it's one of those things that's so cringe and um, secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. And also fear, though. Because you just know this can't end well. When he's threatening their child, their unborn child, he threatens the baby. He's like, I'll take my sister back and I'll fucking carve that that stallion out of her stomach and give it. You can have the kid, but I'm saying it's wild. He talks crazy. And uh, he's like, okay, fuck it. I'll give you a golden crown. And they melt his head off with with metal. One of the greatest scenes, also one of the funniest scenes because of how fast the metal cools. But when he when his head hits the fucking ground, it like. It goes stink like you actually hear, dude. It's so funny. Yeah, it's great though. It's it's some of the greatest Game of Thrones. But yeah, he it, gets a golden crown. He gets a golden crown, and it's it's just he must. When you look hard. at when you yeah when you look at and he does it continuously. Like the whole that whole part of the plot, he's just unlikable, and he doesn't even doesn't he's unlikable and it doesn't even feel like he does smart things no like at no point like he doesn't do any cool or smart things no. he's he just like waking the dragon and you don't want to wake the dragon and he puts his hands on his little sister uh he threatens her a couple times you don't give me commands who do you think you are to command me like all he's just wild so yeah he made a lot of misplays his misplays resulted in his death uh stannis made and this is this is the last one i have on here Stannis made a misplay, a minor misplay, but it ended up costing him probably really big. Now that I fully am aware of how powerful Melisandre actually was. So in season two, after seeing the demon child be born, the Onion Knight, what's his name? What's the... I'm going to be annoyed as soon as you say it. Davos Seaworth. Sir Davos. Okay. So Sir Davos, after seeing, he smuggles in Melisandre so that she could have the, the demon baby thing kill Renly. And he's, you know, he sees that devil sees that shit. And when he gets back, he's telling Stannis about what he saw. Stannis is not trying to hear it. And then he says, listen, you can't bring her when we go to take King's Landing. Like she cannot come along because everyone will believe that it will be her victory. Like if you bring her, they're going to be like, oh, it's because of Melisandre that you won the Iron Throne and not of your own merit so that you won't be respected if she's there. He basically tricks Stannis into not bringing her because he hates her. He's always hated her. And, well, and rightfully so. The bitch is weird. But by him leaving Melisandre behind when he storms Blackwater Bay in King's Landing, they get destroyed by wildfire. And then a lot of bad things happen. And, uh, you know, Melisandre then taunts Sir Devils and Stannis the next season, you know, season three. She taunts them by saying, like, the reason why you failed is because I wasn't there. Like why? Like why would I not be there? You know, like, and then it just so happened that your enemy used fire against you, and you know that she has like 
I don't know what to call it, but she has some kind of dominion over fire. We saw in season eight. She has something. Yeah, she, uh, it, it's funny because she, what Davos said, there's, there could be some truth to it. However, at the end of the day, the goal is to make Stannis the king. And for example, Cersei is the queen and everybody knows one of her strongest chess pieces is the mountain. Yes. Yeah, we all know that Cersei isn't winning. Like, if there's a fight, like, <laughs> you're not scared of Cersei. You're right. scared of the mountain, right? So regardless of what power the um, this woman has, if she is a chess piece under Stannis, then it's still she's still one of Stannis's generals. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it. So it's still Stannis's victory. Yeah, like that should not have been enough to convince him not to bring such an integral part of why he's had success. Stannis's success is old to Melisandre, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you had help. Everyone has had help. So. Yeah, and, there's, and being the one that has a you know a five star general, like for example, there's a lot of characters in Game of Thrones that they themselves aren't the guy, but they they're. Uh, Tyrion Lannister, right? He's got Bronn. Yep. Bronn is one of the best sword fighters in the fucking realm. You know, he's incredible. And him being on Tyrion's side, it's like when Tyrion has pe- like issues, it doesn't diminish the fact that Tyrion is Tyrion, right? Like, yeah, but like Tyrion still gets it. his own things done. And part of why Tyrion has someone like Bronn by his side is because of who Tyrion is, right? You have followers, like even Renly Baratheon, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. The reason why Renly had followers is because of who he was. Yes. And so if he won the war, everybody knows Renly himself isn't a great fighter. However, he was able to inspire great fighters. Yes. Renly's very likable. That was his whole thing. He was just a likable person because he was soft and like he liked nice fabrics and things like that and tourneys. He's very, you know, like that. And then... Stannis is unlikable. It's just ridiculous that he uh he was swayed so easily by Sir Devos, but you know that's a misplay. His misplay cost him. I do think that the, I do think that she would have done something to change the outcome because she yep. she just has that ability. And I think early on, like season two, you don't fully grasp how powerful she is. Like the oh, de- not at all. Yeah, like the demon baby thing was crazy, but she can bring people back to life, which she does in season six when she brings Jon Snow back. Like she has a lot of power. Um, a lot of power. When I really think about it in totality, like Melisandre has a lot of power. So yeah, it was a misplay. It was just blatantly a misplay. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much going to wrap up the Game of Thrones misplays from seasons one and season two. And we will do this again uh, sometime in the future when I get through seasons three and four. I'll, I'll try to do two seasons at a time. Uh, but yeah, this is this is really this is really cool. I wanted to do this as soon as I started watching it again. I was like, man, there are so many things that are messed up that people are doing that I really want to call out. And so there's going to be a lot more of that, as you all know. There's a lot of a lot of mistakes that the characters make, but those are the mistakes that make Game of Thrones really good. And yeah, not really, good. it would not be good without them. If everyone just played the game perfectly, I mean, what would we? What would we? What would wouldn't we, be? Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be watching anything. Yeah, and like, it's why it's part of why the final seasons where weren't as good because like a lot of that a lot of those misplays come from conversations and decisions yeah and by the end of the series there's not those things aren't happening anymore it's all action a lot of times yeah no by action (laughs) yeah it's just the end of the show is fast travel everywhere and the conversations are all like surface yeah yeah there's not weight to the conversations they're all just really surfacey conversation they're pretty trash conversations 
Yeah. They're just like conversations where it's like when you when you're not smart and you're writing you're like how you think a smart character sounds to write them. You know what I mean? Yes, like yes. whereas before it felt like the characters were smart. But then in season eight, it feels like a dumb person writing smart characters, and you're like, what is happening? I love the dialogue in the first couple seasons because honestly, every time two characters are in a room and they're talking, it's it's gold. There was a mm-hmm. <laughs> there was this one I think it's all part of that same scene that we talked about earlier with Cersei and Tyrion. But she says, do you take me for a fool? And he said, I think you're above average intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just... That's his immediate fireback. Like, that's so good. he's just... It's just like how quick he is with it. It's just, it and the dialogue is written so well. Like, again, so I don't know how to... Maybe just find it. Uh, Jeno Slint and Tyrion on YouTube. If you type that in, I'm sure it'll come up. The conversation they have, though, about Genos so betraying Ned is so good. Because I think that uh, Genos says... The first time I watched that, man, I remember getting hyped. Like, it's a really yo, good scene. Geno says, Ned thought that he could buy me. And Tyrion said, silly him. He didn't know you were already bought. <laughs> and I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, fucking I fucking lost it. That shit was so good. It was so good. Oh, man. There's so many good scenes. Game of Thrones, you gotta love it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm gonna give a shout-out to the Patreon people. Uh, Everyone who supports us on Patreon, thank you so much. As I always say, it goes a long way, and we really do appreciate the support. So, without further ado, uh, we have Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Silver Chronic, Tyree Tinsley, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Giovanni Avelos, Game Freak Yoshi, Alex Flamer, Andre Reynolds, CJ, WKDAT1, Saw at Dabber's Gaming Cafe, also the owner of Dank Ritual, where you can get deck boxes and like the Spellground material cloth playmats. Uh, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, Red Vines, First to Home, Thales Ferneris, Tom Wadabiki, S. Akuma, Mitchell Naus, uh, Midwest Gaming, uh, William Shapiro, Dimitri Safiridis, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, KJ, Biz, Roz Weiss, Luke Feeney and Nick Stango. Um, if anybody doesn't have access to the Discord and you're a subscriber on our Patreon, let me know. Uh, we do have over 40 patrons, so uh, you know I want to make sure that everyone has access to the Discord. If you don't use Discord, that's fine. But I just want to make sure that we didn't forget anyone. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean that. I think that just about wraps this one up. We do have a listener letter that we can go over in the next episode. I believe Austin sent us one about Doctor Strange, uh, Multiverse of Madness. So we have a pretty decent length one. So we'll get to that in the next one. Also, if you guys want us to read your listener letter out on the show, just write into Podcast at gmail.com. And again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can just literally, I'm at the point now where if you want, you can just send it to me on Facebook Messenger or send it to Kenny or whatever. Like you can just message us. But we prefer if you send it to our I am their podcast at gmail.com uh, and we will read it aloud on the show. And yeah, as I always say, do the things that make you happy. Uh, unless the thing that makes you happy is telling somebody more powerful than you that you're more powerful than them and then dying and then I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you.